On this episode of the Star Wars Time Show, Matt and Nick have to deploy yet another special topic because they continue to believe there's always time for Star Wars Time, even if Lucasfilm does not. After some Rings of Power and Dragons talk, the dudes will touch on a few new interviews from the Andor cast, which shed more light on what fans can expect to see in Season 1. They'll then riff on some potential plot points they'd like to see in the Bad Batch Season 2. And if time permits, Matt will be challenged to the Mendo game. Of course, the show will end with the Question of the Week responses and the latest round of Top 5 Star Wars Fan Artist Features. Punch it, Chewie! Everybody, let's get our lovely not for TV faces up there in the live stream. There they are. Big forehead Matt with a fat beard, and there's Nick also growing a beard. I'm not sure why he's sporting facial hair, uh, but mine is kind of the it's the recovery beard, just like they do for NHL playoffs. When I broke my fucking leg, I was like, you know what? I'm gonna shave going into surgery. I'm not shaving again until I can walk with no crutches. So the beard's still here. Which means, Nick, the crutches are still in my life, but only if I go out in public. So if you know me, I don't really go out in public. So I've pretty much been crutchless since Friday, which has been good nice. and bad. Good and bad. Uh, someone like me, I need very clear restrictions with this type of shit, my friend, because, <laughs> you know, when she's, she's like, yeah, you don't have to use your crutches when you're around your house. I'm like, okay, so I'm down here. Like unboxing toys, putting toy boxes up in shelves. I'm getting up on fucking ladders. I, I did a mile walk on Saturday without a crutch. And, and come Saturday evening, I'm sitting here going, yeah, I probably shouldn't be doing all this shit considering I just broke, you know, fucking smashed my leg and knee three months ago. It, it, you know, sometimes <laughs> when she says go, I need to approach it more like a turtle than a hair if you catch my drift so um but that's been good you know another mental health boost dropping a crutch for the most part cleared the drive again you know i i kind of feel i've been feeling like a 16 year old or i guess a 14 year old for the past three months i need my wife slash mom to take me places so that's gonna be nice uh now we just need to get the other car fixed and i can start becoming the daddy bus again nice so that's your um, quick update on the saga of the leg. You know, still uh, far from good, but good from far. You know what I mean? Uh, a lot of work left to go to do what I want to do. And the old uh, workout strokes are still happening. So that that's kind of counterproductive, Nick, to someone that wants to get back into shape but can't work out too hard either because of a dead leg or now because of stroke problems in the brain, you know, just one of those additional universe kick in the nuts that we have to deal with sometimes, but I'm here. Gotta start light. Yeah. I'm happy. There's always time for star Wars time. That's at least what we keep telling ourselves at the <laughs> star Wars time show, because clearly, uh, Lucasfilm doesn't believe that. Disney really doesn't believe it, but we do, damn it. 
There is always time for Star Wars time. So yes, even though you see a ring of power poster on the live stream, if you're with us on the live stream, if you want to join, hey, 2.30 p. East, Tuesdays on YouTube, youtube.com slash Star Wars Time Show. So, Nick, I mean, I know in two weeks I'm going to be eating these words because my Star Wars life is going to be way busier than I want it to be. We're going to have that three-episode premiere on the 21st for Andor. A week later, Bad Batch is kicking off, so I'm essentially going to have a two for every Wednesday now before I start real work, which, as a Star Wars fan, I'm excited. I think Andor's looking fucking special. We got some topics to talk about today on that. Um, But as a human, I'm like, fuck, I don't want to be doing all this stuff for a few hundred hits and a few new followers. Like... Can't we just talk about this shit on the podcast? So yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I, I need to like I, I need to figure that shit out. I, I'm sure I'll still bumblefuck it, and I'll be doing six plus videos on the 21st like an asshole that'll get be seen by 500 total people. But my mind, it'll make me feel better, and that I'm not going to die. Uh, but yeah, this fall, when, when you really sit down and think about it, all this bitching we've been doing about oh no Star Wars, no Star Wars. Come 921, uh, it's probably going to be too much Star Wars for yours <laughs> truly here because unlike Nick, I, I've not been able to disassociate from my fanboyism yet. And and I still, for whatever fucking sick, egotistical reason, narcissistic reason, I, I feel the need to, hey, if I don't break something down so people can hear my thoughts on new Star Wars the world's going to end. And that's just, you know, that's, that's just the reality of my fucked up head. So to make up for the lack of star Wars, uh, we're, we're going to kind of tackle some of the pop culture items that came out that might've scared Lucasfilm a bit to kind of punt Andor away. They, they didn't want to deal with house of the dragons talk, or more importantly, more recently rings of power talk. So we're going to do a little bit of that, whether you like it or not. I know Nick's not going to want to talk about House of Dragons, but we're going to talk about it, goddammit. But first, we're going to do some Rings of Power, all right? Don't worry. If you're here for the Star Wars, it's coming. We got a Bad Batch special topic. You never know where our special topics will go, what type of genius will come out of them. But before that, let's get to something that I know Nick is excited about, more so than not Star Wars stuff, because, you know, we've got two more weeks. And that's Rings of Power. So, Nick, you have taken in at least the pilot, correct? Or are you yeah. two episodes deep? Okay. I have not so we'll, seen the second episode. All right. So we'll, we'll stick to pilot-only talk. Um, spoiler warnings, although it's kind of weird. It'll be like giving spoilers for, for Andor, even though we know everything big that mm-hmm. is ultimately going to come out of it. But, hey, we're, we're, we're nice. So l- let's just focus on the pilot. I'll go, I'll go ahead and go since I've already been eating up all the hot air. Then I'll take a break and let you, you spew for a bit. Um, so first and foremost, uh, I, I think the money, let's talk about the money this cost or took to make. I can say that that has been well spent. Uh, the production looks absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, I would say it's on par with what Weta and Peter Jackson did in, in The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. Uh, and they even, even though they're like, oh, we were going to include Peter and then we forgot to email him. <laughs> they, I, Nick, I, I still feel like visually they, they kind of ran with his aesthetic for the world. 
Yeah. Uh, and I wouldn't really say they, they created anything new. I mean, the, the, the elven ships looked similar. The elven armor looked very similar. So I, I, I was a fan of that. Um, I was also pleased to find that they retained Howard Shore in the same way that Lucasfilm did with John Williams for Kenobi. And that, you know, sadly, Shore isn't doing the, the composition f- or the score for the entire series. But Howard Shore, the composer of the excellent Lord of the Rings soundtrack and Hobbit, I believe, he did do the um, opening title, just like John Williams did the opening Kenobi theme for the Kenobi series. So um, I dug that as well. In terms of the content and being a former scholar of, of Tolkien beyond just the Third Age, I mean, I, I've read the Silmarillion, I've, I've read the Unfinished Tales, uh, I've dived into some of the appendices here and there. I mean, I was, there's a reason. I didn't have great grades in college and it's because of my Tolkien studies that I would do during class instead of paying attention. So I will say that there are some inconsistencies, um, specifically, I think with, uh, Galadriel, um, while Tolkien did set up in the second age, she was still kind of kicking around being a warrior elven princess. Um, it, it was never like she was, she had a hard on for for Sauron. Obviously, she was probably concerned about him. But but the one weird thing, and I get it, Nick, why they did it in the show. They they kind of made it like like Elrond and, and Gilgalad. Gilgalad being the high king of um, was it Lorien, Linden, yeah. Lindon, Lind- yeah, Lindon, yeah, there you whatever, go. however you say it. Lindon. And Elrond, you know, a younger Elrond. Maybe maybe he's only about a thousand years. You know, he he. He's been awake for a while. You got to remember him and his brother had the choice of becoming um, elves or man. His brother chooses to become man. He's the one that kicks off the line of the Numenorean kings. Like, I know my shit enough. So I I didn't quite dig the whole Gilgalad and Elrond end around to just kind of placate Galadriel and kind of kick her out of Middle Earth back to the Undying Lands. Because I don't really think that... That's how Tolkien had that shit planned out. I mean, she, yes, she came with the other elves from Valinor to vanquish Melkor from Middle-earth. But like a lot of the elves, she decided to stay on Middle-earth and became one of the, one of the rulers of the, the three elven kingdoms. So whatever, I, I get why they had to do it. They, they, they kind of had to... He kind of had to distinguish Galadriel as the only elf that was still concerned about the bad, where the others are kind of pushing towards, you know what, we, we've been fighting darkness for uh, a millennia at this point, uh, you know, through most of the first age and now the second age. Let's just, let's try and be happy again, like elves were meant to be. And they, they kind of are turning their eye to the fact that not all of Melkor slash Morgoth's underlings were vanquished Sauron being the the biggest so whatever I like some of that canon was off uh, I didn't have any problem with with the Harfoots I, I love that they're getting Hobbit ancestry in here um the whole elf warrior and the female that's like all right you need a love story and these types of things so I guess there's one and they're they're playing on the whole trope of Anytime an elf and a human link up, it usually ends in travesty. Uh, I think they even mentioned, right, Nikki's like, well, yeah. there have been it's two other. It's all ended in death. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and, yeah. Yeah. Th- th- I know the one they're talking about, uh, Luthien and Bear, and that's the first yeah. ever human elf pairing. And then there was another one that also, I think, led to the fall of Gondolin. <laughs> so a, a hidden elven kingdom. But yeah. Um, so, I, so I dug all that. And, and I think the exposition at the beginning to set things up. And uh, would you agree that it opens in the first age? When, when yeah. Galadriel's a little kid, like they're still in Valinor mm-hmm. at that point with the two yeah. trees. Um, so I, I, I love that look. I mean, it almost made me wish like, shit, I could take a Lord of the Rings show set during the beginning of, of time where, what was his name? Ea or EU is, uh, Ilavutar is like Ilavutar. creating, yeah, is, is creating his, his God. Yeah. The God children, <laughs> the demigods, and then the yeah. elves were the first to awake, whatever. Like, like. I'm a fucking dork, okay? Like, I am Tolkien geek. But for a pilot, I don't know. There, there was something about it. If it didn't have the meteoric end, right, the, the arrival of the meteor, to me, I don't feel like a pilot, it did a job that, a, it did the job that pilots are meant to do, meaning really grabbing you in and making it hard for you not to see what's going to happen in the second episode. So I don't know if that's a fact of I know much about this age, so surprises are going to be more or less few and far between, if not canon changes. And um, I don't know. I just I just I felt like something was missing from the pilot that just smacked me in the face and made me go, hell yeah, rings of power is here. I can't wait for the next X amount of weeks. Um, but hey, I checked out the second episode, enjoyed it. I, I think, yeah, we're getting a little bit more meat plus more setup, but without Nick seeing that, I don't want to go too much deeper into it. So I, I would say my initial reception of Rings of Power, at least through the pilot was about, it was in the seventies, um, you know, high, high seventies. If we're rating out of a hundred seven, if we're rating out of 10, you know, the seven and a half, something like that. So Good, but I didn't. I I wasn't blown away. So I'm interested to hear because I know you were, you you were much more excited for this to begin than even Andor. So what what was your take on the pilot for Rings of Power? Yeah, I I really enjoyed it. I think they did a fantastic job of capturing the overall essence of the Tolkien universe. Um, like you said in the beginning of your breakdown, like. The, the attention to detail in the special effects and then maintaining that same, uh, you know, that same aesthetic that Peter Jackson had set forth in the Lord of the Rings trilogy was important. I mean, I think the first thing I said to Taylor as we were sitting down watching, I was like, you can't tell the difference between this and those movies. Yeah. Like the, 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 the level of quality and workmanship put into the show is fantastic. Um did you like have, uh, before I, I know I said I'd let you go, but did you have a moment when you saw the trees? Yeah, that, 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 there, was, that, that was the moment. That was okay. the moment when I told her, I was like, this is, I was like, this is kind of next level stuff. Like, this is yeah. what I wanted. And it was that moment when, you know, they crest the, the hillside, you see the trees. Um, it, yeah. I mean, at, at that point I was like, all right, I, I'm, I'm all in. Yeah. Um, so I, I really enjoyed it. Like, um, I, but also like I'm approaching this with like a different kind of like a different mindset than you are. Like I am not going to try to pick this thing apart canonically just because there's, there's no way that they can stick to canon perfectly because there's too much. Like once you've 
cracked open the Pandora's box of saying like, okay, we are now going to start making content that is expressly based off of unfinished tales and stuff that was in some instances, stuff that was published long after um, Tolkien was dead, if published at all. Um, I, I, I've just like, I'm, I'm not going to sit there and, and nitpick it anymore. Like I, I, like I've just gotten to the point in like in all of my fandom life to where I just don't give a fuck anymore. Like if you make something that's entertaining, that's good, that's well-made and that actually has like good, strong themes that are coherent, or, that are coherent with the content that was made prior and that fit along with what the 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 soul of the story is that was being told in its originality then i'm happy with it like i'm not going to go through and like pick apart stuff just to do it um so in terms of like what i've seen so far in the in the in like the, the uh the first episode i was extremely happy with it um i think galadriel casting was fantastic uh i think her name is like morfrid or Morphid something. Yeah, her name like, is far out. Like her real yeah. name almost sounds like she was birthed in Middle Earth. Yeah, I mean she is fantastic. I loved the Harfoots um, and, and their inclusion and and how they're being used. Um, so at least so far in the in the in the I keep wanting to say trailer, but it's the premiere episode. Um, I like that. I like the allusions to. Um, to Sauron and what's going on over there. I, yeah, I just thought it was a really well constructed show, and um, I'm excited to see the the next episode. I'll probably watch that tonight. Um, and just overall excited to see where it goes because, I mean, ultimately, what's going to end up happening here from from what I've heard, there are, there's not been like a green light for any. I think there may be a green light for season two, but yes, what is, it, it definitely a season two has been yeah. greenlit. But from what I've heard, the plan for this series is if it does well enough, it would be five seasons long. Um, and the reality, the fact is, is that there's not enough minutia in, or there may be enough minutia, but like it would be hard for you to stick to, every minute detail of something for five seasons, especially when you're going off of like, sometimes you're going off of characters that don't even exist in the Tolkien universe. Like Bronwyn is not an actual character in the Tolkien universe. And you know, the, the other characters that are being made for this show, you're going to have to have storylines that progress for those, for these people and that build for these people that are not going to be relevant to Tolkien's right. canon or like previous written works. So like, it's very, it's very difficult. Like you can go in and, and like nitpick certain things that are definitely like, you know, in canon and stuff like that. But then once stories start to intertwine and once you start to get deeper into a series where you have characters that have crossing storylines and plot threads and stuff like that, it's going to get a lot harder to say like, well, Canon, 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 canon. Um, and now knowing, like we talked about last week, that this Embracer group has it, it now owns, not not is licensing the rights of the Tolkien universe, but now fully owns the rights to the the Tolkien universe. Like canon is going to be exploded. Like people need to 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 realize that in short order. Like 
You're, if they're if, if they're actually going to make a, like a Gandalf spinoff movie and a Gollum spinoff movie and all this other stuff, like canon will be blown up. And I think that like that Tolkien fans are going to have to like there, there's going to be kind of a day where they, they have to realize like you're either going to have to like not watch or accept that what's coming out is going to probably be based like you know based off of the soul and the essence of Tolkien and what he wrote but is not expressly based off of his written words or you just don't watch anything if that's if you can't handle that um but overall I'm I'm super pleased with the the pilot yeah I I think you'll uh well then you'll be happy with episode two because there's some good moments in there that just like I said you, you we're not quite done introducing new characters and narratives yet at least through the first two episodes of Rings of Power. So yeah, I, I mean I, I want to clarify because I got some people in here uh, <laughs> like nitpick. Yeah, listen I, I I am not going through Rings of Power like a Star Wars fan watches a Star Wars show. Okay, I'm no, not yeah. sitting there writing down like fuck. They're making Gladriel go back to the Undying Lands. I hate everyone. That I, I'm just pointing that things out. And I ultimately, it, it's not the canon stuff. I did not find the pilot to be as captivating as I thought it could be. Not, it had nothing to do with canon or, or existing characters or whatever. I, it was like, maybe it was too broad for me. Maybe too many introductions. I didn't quite get the, uh, the the hook, line, and sinker feel from the pilot that you know a lot of people want to to feel when they're watching the very first episode of a new series. Um, so uh, yeah, I'm with you. I, I I understand the the canon aspect. So let me clarify that. And I don't hate the show either. I quite enjoyed it. I, I just did not find the pilot to be edge of your seat. I can't look away type of content, uh, which was uh, which I, I was kind of expecting for the first episode of this series. Um, I don't know. Maybe maybe I wanted a little more back history. You know, they gave us like 10 minutes of that. And we got the the opening scene where I, I still contend elven children would not be mean to each other, uh, <laughs> at least until they made it to Middle Earth and they let evilness come into their souls like yeah, remember, these people were essentially living on the shores of heaven. That's yeah. what Valinor was. It was where the gods set up, and that's where they wanted the elves to live. And it wasn't until Melkor stole the fucking lamps before the trees and essentially banished himself to Middle-earth that he decided he started creating evil and darkness. And he got so fucking evil and dark in Middle-earth the, the, the elves, after he fucked up their trees now, they were like, all right, we got to go do something about this guy. And yeah. that's the first time the children of the gods left the shores of heaven. Uh, so I don't think kids would be mean to each other. But, you know, that's just another That's an interesting thing. conversation. That's because... just me being a fucking <laughs> sarcastic yeah. asshole. But, but is, I mean, come that's on. That's an interesting like, conversation. I do not see elven children being shitheads like hum- human children are to each other. So that's it. <laughs> but I'm digging it. Uh, like I so said, episode two opens up more things. And I think one thing we can talk about since, you know, Nick hasn't seen it. And I know that it is one of the big mysteries right now is, is the man in the meteor and who that could be. Uh, it was teased in the trailers. It, it, it's the big kind of cliffhanger end to the pilot. Finally lands and, and one of the Harfoots makes it over there. I, I do 
appreciate, like I said, that the little people are in here and that they seem to be, again, they might be the main, one of the main vehicles for kind of exposing us as the viewer to the larger world and, and what's going on in Middle Earth with all the different players. Because you remember the Hobbits, they I think they even set it up perfectly in the pilot. They're like, listen, we're we're not meant to be seen. We're not meant to do anything great. We're just meant to be happy, live, and kind of move on to the next location. Like their first introduction, you had those two human hunters walking through. And, it, you know, you're like, all right, well, what are we doing with these guys? And then you see that, all right, the reason we are focused on them is because all the Harfoots and the, you know, the little people, the Hobbit-like people were, were hiding. They, they essentially had to yeah. shut down their village to hide from uh, what they called giants. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's fun. Listen, I mean, I'm not one of these people that uh, caused Amazon to shut user reviews for the first three days of a new episode coming out because Stupid, uh, sadly, this series, like many other new series based on popular old school pop culture shit, is getting review bombed to hell and back because of I, I don't know. I mean, if you're an Elon Musk bro, he's he's one of them trying to start controversy. He's sending out tweets like. Tolkien would be, you know, rolling in his grave. There's no portrayals of strong men in this show. Galadriel's the only good character. Like, I don't even know what he's saying there. I mean, he seems to be one of these guys that gets all upset if there isn't, um, you know, Conan the Barbarian in every fucking movie and every type of genre. It's like, where, where you been, bro? I mean, the 80s and 90s were, were decades ago. Uh, we, we really don't... <laughs> We don't have those cartoonish, steroid-infused, manly men in in these in these roles. I, I don't know. I, it's just like whatever. But, but that's that's like what, in that instance too. It's not even like like that's how Galadriel was. Like it's not even like a dis like a disingenuous portrayal of Galadriel. Just to no. Be he like, he liked he liked Galad. He said she's the only one that is done right so far. The men oh, okay. is hinting at like the men are all portrayed as pussies and she's the only one that seems to have an edge to her. It's like, and okay. I just don't understand. So like, so his problem is that like the main character in the show is the main character and like, she's I, dude, getting I the not. most I mean, important I, stuff. Like I I'm not the most, I'm not the most normal of humans, but I'm not like this sect of, of males that these, I call them like the Joe Rogan alpha males, like the bros, the alpha bros. I, I don't understand that thinking, but there's a lot of them. And a lot of them are in my generation, you know, the, the late thirties, forties up. There's this feeling like if you don't have, like I said, Arnold's character from commando as the lead character, you're either, you know, taking the Mary Sue route, or you're 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 neutering the male stereotype. I just I I don't I don't get it. So luckily I wasn't focused on that type of shit while I was watching Nick. Just the to yeah. me the the lack of punch. Like I, I wanted to feel like the you know the first time I watched uh, the Mandalorian. Like oh my ugh, the whole time just like ah. And I do think some of it is because this is a story. I ultimately know what's going to happen. I mean I hopefully I'll get some surprise like nick said they're gonna have to craft new stories and yeah in in their own canon um but i know where everything's going so uh, i don't feel like they 
they gave me anything to be surprised about quite yet outside of Meteor Boy, who at this point, Nick and I were talking offline. It, the good chance it's it's an Istari, which would for those of you that aren't Tolkien geeks, the the wizards, the the Gandalfs, yeah. the Saruman's, the Radagas. I, I know, almost think that you you might have nailed it when we were talking offline, and I'll let you you'll get to it. But I think you may have nailed one of your um, the blue wizards. Yeah, because we okay. never like we don't know one even the names of the blue wizards and two we were never exposed to the blue wizards in the third age or Correct. in any age in any way so this and could they're, be they're a just very, casually mentioned right i mean doesn't gandalf yeah. bring them up in in passing or something like that yeah i don't even think like he they never even get they definitely don't get mentioned in in like actual like filmed stuff like in lord of the rings or in the yeah Hobbit. no this would have to be but reading the books in, and the appendices exactly. and shit like that yeah like they they're only mentioned in passing by gandalf at, right. in the in the writings so like i but i do think that you may have given the best probably yeah, the because, best potential option yeah because you know let, let's let's look at a few others uh, at first i was like oh that that's going to be anatar and for those of you that aren't keeping score anatar the lord of gifts is sauron's fair form that's how he's able to, to trick calabrimbor into forging the rings of power but if you think about it a if you're going to take a fair form why make yourself look like a hobo yeah. B, if you're the Dark Lord who is trying to hide from the elves in the light uh, while you rebuild your 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 forces on Middle Earth, you're probably not going to announce your re-entry into the game <laughs> via a meteorite shower, okay? Yeah. Just, yeah. just not a great idea. And B, while I hope it's not Gandalf or Radagast or Saruman, they're an age away. Like, mm -hmm. these are some canon things where it's like, yeah. I mean, the Astari were, were sent in full force in the Third Age to help deal with the Rings of Power, Sauron, all that shit. Like, that that was their main purpose. That's why Gandalf comes back and he's reborn as the White, because he did not achieve his purpose. So Gandalf showing up now, I mean, he's showing up thousands of years early, a full age yeah. early, in fact, because I think... Nick, you may know better than me, but we're only like a, maybe a thousand years into the second age at this point in time. Uh, and I'm getting that just yes. based on Gilgalad. Be like, oh, we've had, you know, Galadriel and her elven warriors for centuries trying to chase down any yeah. uh, sightings of Sauron. So I'm guessing we're about a thousand into uh, yeah. second age. And and I think, too, that they've shown um, Sauron's fair. They've shown Anatar in um the trailers. Like yeah, and he is a he he looks elfin like. I mean he's yeah, a yeah. very he's like fair that, that looking like elf. Blonde. He's got like blonde hair, but it's almost like shaved, like that shaved blonde headed yeah. kid. Yep. He looks kind of young. Right. So I think like it would be odd if you were to introduce him in that form and then have him switch to look like an elf. Um like yeah, so that I mean also like like I don't want to I don't want to say it's a new character yet but like it, it's like like I said like we're working in an area where right. like you have to have new characters yeah. it's just necessary yeah. to to storytelling so it could be a totally new character and it it could even be both it could be a blue wizard that is a new character because we have no idea who the blue wizards Correct. are 
And I do like, I'd have to look it up again, but I do believe that the blue wizards were sent to middle earth earlier than the rest of the Astari for like, uh, not like almost like reconnaissance purposes just to like, see what this land is and -hmm. like, see what the inhabitants were like. Yeah, because the Astari, uh, for people that aren't familiar, they're they're best described as like angels. They're not mm-hmm. gods. They're not demigods. They're they're angels. Uh, they're on the same level as a I don't know how you pronounce this the Maya the Maiar Maya yeah, which yeah. is what Sauron is. So yes. so Gan he Sauron's a little bit high. I would say he's probably a little bit higher than a Gandalf and a Balrog, but Balrogs are essentially the same level as an Astari in terms of fantastical beings in, yeah. in middle like, earth. Uh, the Bal Balrogs are like corrupted or like my are that were corrupted by Morgoth during the yeah, first right. age. And yeah. so, they, the, so that's the, how they are now. The Valar are your main gods. The Maiar are like your your sub demigods, angels, and then Istaris are kind of like a branch of the of the Maiar. Yeah. So yeah, this is super fucking <laughs> dorky. But like I told you, there was something about when I went and saw Fellowship of the Rings that just a fucking light bulb went off. Uh, you got to remember the time period is in between the prequels, and it was in between crazy internet and social media. So I needed something to keep my my sci-fi and fantasy brain kind of engaged in between the star Wars prequels. And it became Tolkien. Uh, I, I remember being read the Hobbit as a little kid or, or even reading it, but nothing with Lord of the Rings. And when I saw fellowship of the Rings, even it being almost three hours in a theater as a, you know, a 20 year old, a 21 year old, I came out of it going, Holy fuck. How have I missed this story my whole life? What is going to happen next? So I went headfirst into Two Towers, Fellowship, and then it was, all right, now I got to read The Hobbit again. And I was like, well, fuck. They keep mentioning all this shit, these Cimmerils and this and that and this family and this song and Feynor and and Ellen Deal and Baron and Luthien. I'm like, well, who are these fucking people? And how did <laughs> how do they have an effect on on these people's journey? So then I'm getting into the Silmarillion and then the you know the the appendices of all the novels, the unfinished tales, like Nick was saying. So I went nuts. Um, it, it really it, it was almost. A, a reaction to me not loving the prequels and still pretending I did. It was it, Nick, it was kind of like, I don't want to well, dive here. into Star Wars anymore because I'm yeah. not liking what I'm seeing. So I'm going to go fucking literally head first into Tolkien. And that's what happened in my early 20s. Yeah. yeah, no, I mean, and it's like I said, I think I may have said this on a previous podcast when we were talking about Tolkien too, was that like, that was like, that was the first grandiose representation of high fantasy in like movie form that we had seen in a while. I mean, you would have to go back to like Conan the Barbarian and, you know, Princess Bride and stuff like that to really get back to a time before the Lord of the Rings movies where we were seeing high fantasy regularly in That's a good point. Yeah, it it was not a genre that that made it into movies. I mean, Willow Willow would have been one, but you could do it on one hand, I bet. You're right. Yeah, like prior, prior to that, I mean, and there were animated versions of the Lord of the Rings that had come out prior to that, but it was never like 
trippy as fuck. They're all like done by people in the seventies on acids. Exactly. (laughs) Like it was all, it was always like cheaply done and not really like given the care that it deserved. And then for the first time ever, really you dove into a high fantasy realm with a huge budget and, you know, some legitimate, like, you know, star power in some of these roles. And like, I think that's what that what really attracted people to it because the the last time they had seen anything that was like fantasy oriented was probably 20 years in the past. It had been such a long time. So, I mean, for people like us, it was just like, okay, yeah, now this, like we're hitting on something that I know that I've wanted, but I didn't know that existed. That's how it was to me. It was like, holy shit, this is tickling my tits as George Takei likes to say. (laughs) But I, for some reason, up until my 20s, I had really no clue that this type of high quality fantasy existed. Uh, you know, it just goes to show I'm a fucking degenerate. I wasn't paying attention as a little kid or, you know, my parents weren't reading the right books or reading to me at all. That's probably why I don't like words and shit. Yeah. But and no, it, it, it sucked me in. It, it really, yeah. I mean, it's something and bat. You're not wrong. The Silmarillion isn't necessarily a, a traditional book. Yeah, it it's all over the fucking place. I mean, it it's, it tells of the creation. There, there's a whole huge part on creation. Then there's a, a huge part on the downfall of of the created and, and how Middle Earth comes to be. Then there's the a way- little bit on, on, on the second age and the rings. And then there's even a little bit on the Lord of the Rings and the Silmarillion. It's yeah. all over the place. The way that I would describe the Silmarillion is like if you've ever written anything that's like fantasy oriented it's like a lore doc like it's where you keep it's it's basically like tolkien's like uh encyclopedia of the history of middle earth it's not like it it is definitely not a story driven book no this is like there's not a give you there's there's not really a plot outside of the loose plot of the of the silmarils and and what they are and what happens to them and how they get back to the elves that that yeah. but but that that spans we're talking millennia 8000 like, years like thousands like and thousands of years yeah. but by the time some of the stories are ending it's like the eighth generation of the yeah. one character's kids that finally resolves the fucking yeah. story but I mean, it's, it's it is a masterpiece because you're like a dude one guy thought of all this created yeah. their languages created at not just to let everything about their language like you know verbs and and participles i don't even know what that shit means anymore but he created all that for every different race every race has a history every race has a creation point like how the dwarves were the creation of i think what ollie or uh, the god is essentially the, the the smithing god literally birthed dwarves out of the fucking rock you know that's yeah. why they're little and, and hardy and they're good at digging and mining it, it's it, nuts it, yeah, like the, uh, the level of depth that that he goes into on that is insane. It's crazy. It's crazy. Um, one thing I wanted to bring up about the the pilot episode two that I really appreciated was there was a level. I mean, this is going to be kind of an odd word to use because we're talking about elves, but there was an there was a a incredible level of humanity shown in the elves when talking. I mean, when essentially Galadriel is talking about having PTSD, like she's yeah. like, I have this pain in me from the experiences that I've had 
that I don't want to bring back to the undying lands. Like I yeah, need yeah, to no, stay you're right. here They're- and purge this from myself before I go to Valinor. And that's what we see in the Lord of the Rings at the end when she denies, well, not at the end, but um, when she denies uh, or, or when she refuses to take the ring from Frodo when they're in Lothlorien. Right. And like, I, I feel like that setup, like that moment, knowing why Galadriel is still in Middle Earth, and then that final moment in the Lord of the Rings where we see like she actually says like I can remain myself and go on to the Undying Lands. Now I thought that that was an awesome yeah um, moment, and there were also other like I told Taylor one thing I was like I know that other people have noticed this, but I know that it's just like the ultra geeks, and it was like. It was during a conversation between Galadriel and Elrond and like they're talking. It's it's during the conversation where, where Galadriel is telling Elrond, like, I don't want to like I'm going to tell Glorfindel that I'm not going back to Valinor. Like, I don't want to do it. And he says he says something like something to the degree of like the only reason that you're staying is a shadow and a whisper uh, like from the east. And like that is literally word for word how she describes Sauron in how Galadriel describes Sauron in the beginning in like the the introduction of Lord of the Rings when they're going through the history of the rings and she says something like a shadow and a whisper from the east is now yeah. forming and that's when they talk about like no, yeah, the rise good. of Sauron I, I in the third age I didn't pick up on that. that that's a good catch there but yeah that that's the stuff I I live for so I'm gonna have to pay a little more close attention but uh, there you go. Rings of Power. Nick's got to watch episode two, episode three dropping Friday. Uh, I'm going to try to watch it before next week. So at least until Andor comes on, you, you should probably expect some Rings of Power breakdowns for the time being. Uh, we'll, we'll probably kick it to the wayside unless uh, people are digging Tolkien talk. Uh, we, we can keep doing it. But since we had a light Star Wars day, I figure why not? Let, let, let's get a little bit of a, a more meteor breakdown of a non-Star Wars property. Uh, so we'll, we'll move on from Rings of Power. We got a question here in the live stream chat. Dwarfs live how long? I believe dwarfs can live into the hundreds. I'm not yeah. sure if they can go thousands. I think, I think it was like, I looked it up and I don't know if this is different between different properties, but like, I think it's like between 350 and 400 years. So like once you're once you're at like 150, you're you're like middle aged okay. as a dwarf. And then at this time, uh, once we do meet uh, the Numenorians, that they can live about 200 years, a little over 200 yeah, years, because they're extended. They are descendants of Elros, who at one time could have been an elf, but because of elves fucking humans, they essentially made a new rule. If that happens and they have kids, the kids have to decide if they want to be yeah, an immortal. Or man, and uh, those that decided to become man kicked off the great line of kings that Aragorn was a part of. Mm-hmm. So there you go. There's your uh, super dorky, too much in detail lore drops, knowledge drops of Rings of Power currently on Prime Video, their biggest ever debut. All right, so we got a few other uh, non-Star Wars things real quick here. Uh, House of Dragons. I, I know uh, last week I still hadn't watched any. Uh, Nick checked them out. He wasn't too high on it. So I was like, you know what? L- let me give it a peek. And I-, I finally have watched episodes one and two. 
I've not seen the new one, which released uh, two nights ago, Sunday night over the Labor Day weekend. So I guess, if anything, it, that kind of speaks to... It hasn't become appointment TV yet for me, Nick, House of the Dragons. Um, but unlike you, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the music and I'm having like a Pavlov's dog reaction or the fact that, you know, Rainieri's just exudes Daenerys to me. Uh, the dragons, I don't know, man. The, the, they're using the same theme song. They broke out the map again, the intro. There's just, uh, there's so much familiarity in House of the Dragons that by the time episode two ended, I turned and looked at my wife. I was like, they fucking did it. They fucking sucked me in again. And I didn't think there was a remote chance that that would happen based on the last season and a half of how Game of Thrones went. And, uh, you know, to me, I felt like it went off the rails a bit. You know, Nick was saying before we went live that Martin more or less has just given up because other people have, have taken his work and have essentially finished it for him. Um, but I don't know what it is, Nick. And, and I know you're not high on it and you don't give a shit and you, you'll watch it because a friend wants to. But there there's something about House of the Dragon that takes me way back to 2010 where you're just sitting there like, oh, man, it, it, there's that, that feeling of tension in the air. Like, wh what's this family going to do next that's fucked up? Who's going to make a move? And I, I'm digging it. And I think the, I think one of the biggest aspects or, or the two things that draw me in the most to House of the Dragon is Rhaenyra's, at least the young one. I haven't seen the time jump yet. Rhaenyra's. In particular, the moment in episode two where she shows up at fucking Dragonstone on her own, on a dragon, and essentially says to her cousin, fuck you. I, I love the lady. Like, she's instantly already a favorite pop culture character of mine, and you can see how she is a direct ancestor of Daenerys Targaryen. There's, there's a lot of similarities there in how they behave, how they act, and who they want to be. And the uh, uncle she went after. I think Matt Smith's Damon is a fucking amazing bad guy, shady guy type of antagonist when he should, if you think about the, the story and the time setting, he should be a protagonist considering he's a Targaryen and they are dominating Westeros at this point in time. So I, I'm right back in, man. I, I wouldn't even say it's much different than Game of Thrones. They're, they're still plotting for the Iron Throne, even though now it's just within the Targaryen family versus all of Westeros. But I'm digging it. it there's something about it. Call me a fool, a dope, whatever. But uh, they've managed to suck me back into Westeros. Yeah, I think for me, it just feels lazy. It feels like you're just telling the same story with characters that just have different names. And even though we're 200-ish years in the past, like, nothing is different. Like, everything is exactly the same. There's just a few more dragons in the world, I yeah, guess. Right? Like that that's the only thing is that, like... Every now and then you see a dragon, but even within Lord of the, not Lord of the Rings, even within Game of Thrones, like dragon, like the dragons eventually come back. I mean, I don't know. I just, I like, I kind of fell off as a fan of the Lord of the Rings, not Lord of the Rings. How I, dare you? That is my, like, that's all I care about <laughs> right now is the Lord of the Rings shit because the Game of Thrones stuff just seems kind of middling to me, but like. I kind of fell off like after season seven because I thought season seven was relatively weak too. And then season eight was just a travesty. Yeah. He hasn't like the even 
even book five was bad. Like, like, like if you've read the books, which I assume that a lot of our listeners have, like he even stopped, book five in he itself stopped writing good. where she gets captured after she rides Drogon out of the free cities and she gets captured by the uh, Dothraki again. If you can remember yeah, I mean, that far, but that's where he is at in the books. Like that's how far yeah. back he still is. I mean, it's just like, Ugh. like after the, like the third book was his, his peak because in four and five, he essentially splits them off into different sections. Like he tells one, like one book is focused on characters that are in Essos, which is the East. And then what book is focused on characters that are in Westeros. And like, at that point, like he, book four was okay. You you followed a character in book four that you just don't give a shit about, um, and, and it's like this this like knight that's following whatever's daughter, uh, like uh, oh dude, uh, you're I mean the, Cersei the, Lannister's daughter, like they're they're even in the book like that. I know who you're talking about, like that's a main player even in book five because they're they're supposedly presenting another contender to the throne, like another yeah, potential yeah. Targaryen, like it's supposed to be one of the babies that uh. Uh, what's his name was supposed to have smashed when the uh, Lannisters and Baratheons took over King's Landing yeah. from the so Mad like, Kings. <laughs> and then like they they like completely well they didn't completely skip it but they kind oh it's of gone tried it's not in, it's that. not in the show at all like that that night yeah. and that character they completely yeah, they're, they're both eliminate gone. That. so like but like I don't know yeah I mean this one we'll see how it progresses yeah. but also knowing that like I mean kind of similar to Lord of the Rings where like, you know, the ultimate outcome, but like, I feel like knowing the ultimate outcome for this one just makes it even less interesting because it, especially concerning the fate of Rhaenyra Targaryen, who is the primary character, at least so far in this series. Um, the, the, the primary fate for Rhaenyra Targaryen is complete shit. And like, um, and we're so far away from, like where the regular characters are, but it doesn't like where the game of Thrones characters are, but it doesn't feel like it. I wish that there was more of a, like a feeling of like, this is in the past and this is how you can tell. And this is different where like everything just feels so the same as to, yeah. to game of Thrones. It does. That, I mean, and, like and maybe issue. that's why I got sucked in because it is so familiar. Another reason is, and I've learned this about myself and I don't know why this is, but just like Star Wars and the excitement I had for the prequels, for some reason, I get hard-ons at, at the notion of going back in time and being able to see how things develop to create the property that I'm currently enjoying. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, with yeah. me, the prequels, I was like, okay, I want to see the Clone Wars and, and Anakin and this and that and this and that. And I want to see how those moments... Those deeds, those characters affected what I've come to love in A New Hope, Empire, and Return of the Jedi. Uh, same with Rings of Power and why I went back to read all those books. It wasn't like, oh man, the Lord of the Rings sucked or the Hobbit sucked. I, I, I want to try one more thing from Tolkien to see if he really is as good as people tell me. It was no. My mind was clamoring for, hey, that fucking poem that Frodo read that said this about those two people 10,000 years ago. I want to find out why. Why Why were these people singing about these people thousands of years down the road? What heroic deeds or misdeeds did they do? I It's it's odd. And, and I'm experiencing the same thing in House of Dragon here where 
And you're you're not wrong. I mean, when they're in King's Landing, it it looks like we're right in the timeline of a Game of Thrones outside of, you know, I think the the sept is still there. It hasn't been blown the fuck up by Cersei yet, obviously. Yeah. Um but it it's just the little things like, you know, learning about how the this Valorian guy is trying. He, he wanted to reinforce his bond with the Targaryens and how they're the only two surviving family from uh, with a Valyria, which, you know, gets brought up in Game of Thrones. But you don't understand like Valyria. That, that's like where the the great kingdoms were, the advanced society. And that's why the Targaryens and, and their ability to command the dragons became the rulers of not only Valeria, but then ultimately Westeros, because th- they were like gods. Uh, even this Valoran character, the, the, the Seamaster, I forget his fucking name. His family is automatically above every other family in Westeros because they came from Valyria. Not these bums, the Andals, that essentially came from caves and eventually became the kings of Westeros until uh, what's his name Aegon came over and fucking fricasseed them all and made them bend the knee and form the Iron Throne so you're, you're not wrong man I mean it's just I think it is it's my childlike wonder and you know can I see some of these bricks being laid 200 years prior that are going to uh, maybe expand upon or, or, or clarify or flesh out stuff that I know about in the a song of ice and fire timeline. So, um, yeah, I'm excited to watch episode three. I've heard there's a green screen flub, which hmm. I'm guessing they've probably corrected by now that it's been outed on social media. Um, but I'll probably be watching that tonight. So, uh, Hey, I'm, I'm there. I'm a dummy. I lap, I lap this shit up. I'll tell you if it sucks. I'll tell you if I like it, but these days, uh, you know, end of the night have a little, little smoke and a pancake i can tolerate pretty much anything without getting annoyed or wanting to roll my eyes (laughs) (laughs) all right last but not least just a quick recommendation if you're on the live stream i have an image of kevin hart and uh marky mark on my screen and that's because uh, like good parents we watched me time this week with a six-year-old it's a new comedy on netflix Starring Marky Mark and Kevin Hart. Uh, I, I tend to like watching anything Kevin Hart. I, I think he's kind of funny, even if the movies are usually fucking dumb as hell. And, and that's kind of what I found with Me Time. So if you're looking for a a light R comedy that you probably could get away with watching with uh, not real young kids, but younger kids, uh, Me Time on Netflix isn't, isn't that bad. It, it's got some pretty stupid moments in it that'll make you laugh. And uh, I always like seeing short people on screen because I am one. And now my daughter is starting to realize how short her dad is. So anytime she sees a short guy, she's like, hey, he's like you. Are you are you taller than him? Is that what you look like standing next to other people? I'm like, yeah, thanks for reminding me. That is what I look like. (laughs) Poor Kevin Hart. But um, yeah. So. uh, Oh, She-Hulk. Listen. I love I, I've been enjoying She-Hulk the whole twerking controversy like people get a fucking life that's all I gotta say I've like, I've I've seen the first two episodes and I'm actually like I like it because it's it's different oh yeah it's like it's almost slapsticky in the vein of of MCU yeah. she's breaking fourth walls left and right so I, I've been digging She-Hulk and twerking not twerking I mean come on who cares uh, Tony yeah, Tony I mean, Stark. We, we all know what Tony Stark sacrificed his life for. It's so people could twerk. Yeah. All right, get over it, you fucking weirdos. 
It's like the, the yeah. Star Wars fans that get up in arms over dumb shit. It's like, it's fucking fake. Yeah, First man. and foremost, Tony Stark is not a real person. Yeah. Robert Downey Come Jr. On. is Robert Downey Jr. He's a very he's, wealthy actor. That's it. He's still alive. He <laughs> didn't snap his weirdos. fingers and explode. Like No, I, I saw him. Like <laughs> Tony and Tony Stark died for this. Like all these memes. It's like, God, dude. You people, like what? What is it's wrong weird. in your life? It, like, what is going wrong weird. in your life? All right. How about a little Star Wars, Nick? We're about an hour into the show, and we really haven't said much about uh, the thing that we feel there's always time for, and that is Star Wars. Uh, and, and like I said, we got a little special topic for you, but we do have some uh, interviews, some quotes to read about Andor, first coming from Diego, and then after that, we'll, we'll talk about some uh, Genevieve O'Reilly quotes. Uh, one thing, you know, just to, to further uh, something that depressed me that I learned, Genevieve is only 45, which means she's only three years older than me, which means she was in her early 20s when she got cast to play Star Wars and has had that 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 luxury in life to have been in Star Wars for over 20 years now. Mm-hmm. And the that thing about like, good, like what I would have, if you got to think, she was cast for Revenge of the Sith, so... Uh, they probably started shooting that in 2003, four, something like that, because it came out. Well, well, hell, they probably started shooting it in, definitely in 2003, if not towards the end of 02. So, I mean, she, she would have been like 25. I've been in like 22, 23, and I'm like working at a fucking Kroger manufacturing plant doing IT, <laughs> and she's on the set of Revenge of the Sith, which 20 years from now is going to lead her to a starring role in Andor. So there's another big... F- Fuck me from the universe. Thank you, universe. I love you. Just reminded me of all the bad choices I made in my adult life and, and not doing what I want to be doing like Genevieve. So anyways, Nick, uh, we, we've been trying to tell Star Wars fans for a week now that Andor is not a Star Wars show for Star Wars fans. Gilroy last week straight up said Andor is for non-Star Wars fans. More than the fanboys and fangirls, the type of people that listen to the Star Wars Time show. So, um, Diego is the next cast member to come out and say, like, listen, Andor is different from all other Star Wars. So, I mean, this is really what they are, they're, they're selling us on, it's, Nick. So It's getting tiring because right. if you look at the answers... They're not actually talking about Andor at all. They're not talking about the show. They're just talking about Tony Gilroy constantly. <laughs> and I don't fucking care about so, Tony Gilroy. <laughs> like, do you? All right. We can run off of that angle. Do you think this is all, you know, superfluous stuff from them because they look at Tony Gilroy the same way you and I do? Or do you think they've honestly been kind of spellbound by Tony and they have bought into Tony's vision for Star Wars, which is anti-Star Wars. I think that at this point, you can't, like, actors can't say anything they actually think right now. Like, this is promotion for the show that has yet to come out yet, so whatever thoughts they have, whatever actual thoughts they have, they can't say it. Like, just go back to... (laughs) the marketing material and all of the interviews that people did for TLJ and then go look at what they said three, three, two years after that movie came out. Like there were, they were widely different in terms of 
how the actors actually spoke about their experience on the show and in the movie. I'm not saying that that's what the case is for this, but like there's only a certain amount of things you can talk about. And it seems like the only thing that anybody wants to talk about about this show is how Tony Gilroy made it because he doesn't like Star Wars. And it's like, because this is the first, this is literally the question as it is posed to Diego. So this is the Hollywood reporter asking Diego Luna a question. The first two words in it are Tony Gilroy. And it says Tony Gilroy has said in the past that his superpower was not being a lifelong Star Wars fan as that's allowed him to make bold choices on Rogue One. I feel the lack of fear on Andor as well. Could you also sense that he was unafraid to tell a new type of Star Wars story? And then within four words of Diego's response is Tony's name again. I think so. Tony is just not afraid, period. But here's the thing that people need to remember about Rogue One. 95% of that movie, he had nothing to do with. Like... Only the good stuff, right? Only the good stuff. Like, if you like that movie from stem to stern, from beginning to end, then, like, you like 95% of a movie that Tony Gilroy had nothing to do with, and then you like the ending that Tony Gilroy had something to do with. That fucking hack, Gareth Edwards. So, like, I'm so confused how a movie that is over two hours long is the success of it is solely put on a dude who wrote the last 20 well, minutes. Nick, it's because that's all he's told us since he did that work. I mean, he he was no different when he did Rogue One. He came out and essentially, this is what I imagine. I imagine he had like a Clark Kent moment when he was asked this question. He went like this. Once they asked him like, so um, what did you do for Rogue One? He put up his finger and said, wait. He then took his shirt, ripped it open, and there was an S on his chest, and he proceeded to say, I'm fucking Superman, bitch. Tony Gilroy knows everything. I am Star Wars now. You like Rogue One because of Tony. And yeah. that was it. And, and now, like, you were, you're right. Like, I didn't even look at it this way. The, the media is essentially... Asking questions the way Tony Gilroy wants them to ask yeah. questions. Even, which even is, the next question. Like, what do you think is. of Tony's plan for season two? It's yeah. like, you, you do realize that you're talking to not Tony Gilroy, right? Like, you can ask this guy questions about, like, what he did in the show. What are his thoughts? Like, anything else. But, like, all they ask is questions about Tony Gilroy. It's just it's it is it is funny like dude what the fuck is is happening here well well the other thing it's almost like the cast is in on it now too because if you read Diego's first reply he says I think so Tony is just not afraid period laughs like the the interviewer had to put in the laughs in brackets to to let the reader know when when Diego was was responding to their question on Tony he was essentially laugh responding which usually means like hey. I get where you're going with this Tony Gilroy dude, so I'm with you. Wink, wink. Let's do the interview. So it's almost like his his cast now understands, regardless of what type of press they're doing, they got to tow the Tony Gilroy line. And, and Nick, yeah. <laughs> you hit it on the head. It's like they're not even interviewing Diego. They're just interviewing yeah. Tony through Diego. Yeah, it's like it's to a point to where it's just like, God, man. I've never seen I've never seen a show marketed this way where like 
the show is more about the person who made it than it is about the show. And I, like, the thing is, I think Tony did that by design. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because like, who, like, who the fuck knew Tony Gilroy before? Uh, not this, me. Like, like, people had it's like, oh, yeah, like you look up his IMDb is like, oh, yeah, he made that like born movie that everybody hated. Or he made that that George Clooney movie that everybody forgot about immediately after right. it came out. Bro, and then I mean, now he's like. I'm going to do something and it's going to be all about me. <laughs> you got to think, crazy. I mean, unless you're like a writer, director or a writer, actor, you almost never hear about the writers of movies, yeah, big or bad. So you're right. I mean, Tony, I didn't know who the fuck he was, even when they're like, oh, yeah, Tony Gilroy's coming in to work on Rogue One. I'm like, who the fuck is that and why do we need like, him? Okay, well, but whatever. clearly <laughs> we did. And he's letting us know repeatedly Many years down the line, what were what over five years, right? No, yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, Rogue yeah, six one came years, out in 2016. Uh, yeah, 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 so we're about to be six years removed from it. Yet, the one thing we remember, we, we all remember about Rogue One is a, a lot of people consider it to be the best Disney Star Wars, and b, Tony fucking Gilroy is the reason why it's the best <laughs> Disney Star Wars property. So Dude, I, I want to know what Gareth Edwards like. I want to sit down with an interview for Gareth. He Edwards has to fucking like, hey, hate man, Tony's like, guts, right? He has it, to hate it, his he's guts. He's got to because like here's the one thing that we like. I remember when we went back and like we you know we did our podcast after seeing it. Like one of the big things other than the ending that I think that we harped on a lot was like. That was visually the best Star Wars movie that may have ever been made, even to this day, like including the 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 three that came after it. And like that part gets completely glossed over because everybody only focuses on Tony Gilroy. You are right. It it has some of the best visual aesthetics in Star Wars. I mean, even when he just pans in on a new planet, like I, I bet all of us, if I say Jeddah you're going to get that shot in your mind that he presents and the humming right away. Like he, he imprinted. And I would think that was Gareth or at least his director of cinematography, something. Oh yeah. Not, not Tony. I mean, Tony, yeah. honestly, I really think his big claim to fame is the end the and, 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 and Vader, yeah, which like that. Hey, all credit, man. I mean, yeah, great stuff for sure. But like that movie was made by Gareth Edwards and you like <laughs> retweaked the end. Like I, I, I feel wild. like if if someone on this press junket was like, hey, Diego, so, you know, Tony, this, Tony, that. What, what do you think about Gareth Edwards? I feel like if he even opened his mouth, someone from off camera would assassinate him. Yeah. Like, like, they, he like would Tony has. In the face. Yeah. Tony has hitmen out to make sure that no one says anything positive about yes. their time on Rogue One when Gareth was was the main creator filmmaker. <laughs> but it's all just right, weird. Well, <laughs> um, yeah, so there you go. That, that's that's our update. Tony is still the fucking man. He's so much the man that his cast members now have to essentially give his interview during their interviews, which Just is a talk thing of beauty. about him. Here's the. the and now even the entertainment media is failing us where they can't just, you know, move on from a strong personality. Like just yeah. ask Diego a fucking question about Diego. It's not yeah. that hard, right? Okay. Okay. So uh, here, so anyway, this is the question that kicked it off. It says Tony Gilroy said in the past that his superpower is not being a lifelong star Wars fan as that has allowed him to make bold choices on rogue one. Um, and I feel like that lack of fear on Andor as well. Could you also 
sense that he was unafraid to tell a new oh, type I, cl- of I closed story. that art i thought we were done with that topic <laughs> so. oh, yeah, yeah. um and then diego just goes on to say that yeah like he i admire this guy so much he experienced freedom in a very rigorous way which i love it's very interesting to have a voice like his in this story you never approach a story this way where you know what the end is and the creative team doesn't Jeez. have to deliver an ending I mean, that you're not expecting. I'm waiting for him to click his heels and do a a, a Hal Hitler at the end of this to, yeah. to Tony Gilroy. I mean, do you Tony. hear that? I it's mean, it's so like crazy. It's it's almost like he's in a cult now. Like he's in the Tony yeah. Gilroy cult. Or like I said, he's kind of in on the joke, and like him and the journalists yeah. are just sitting there, like, yeah, let's just fucking make this all let's about, Tony, about Tony because Tony. that's all Tony does. Yeah. Anytime he sits down with the media. Yeah. Um, but, uh, the, the last two questions are very short. Um, they essentially ask him, what do you think of Tony's plan for season two? As every three episodes will represent a year's worth of story. (laughs) Tony's plan. Uh, he says, I think it's perfect. It's lovely. It's almost like four different movies via three episode blocks. Uh, three episodes will be a very strong block to explore a year, uh, another year and then another year and another year. Wow. How is, did he really speak that sentence? (laughs) Uh, there is also space in between each block where time passes, so we're allowed to evolve and transform. But I think it's part of season one, too. Um, and then they ask how many episodes that, that uh, the THR crew has seen. The THR people said the first four. He said, uh, yeah, so when you see episode three, you probably went, I think I know the characters, the tone, and what the series is going to be about. But then we take you where episode four goes. And you were like, what, where are we going? What's going on? What happened? Blah, blah, blah. So they're just talking about the rest of the, like the, the four, the, the three episode per year system that Tony invented for Andor specifically against the wishes of everybody at Lucasfilm. He, <laughs> they are gonna- he has essentially made this series. You have to understand that he captured Kathleen Kennedy. He captured Dave Filoni locked them in a cell handcuffed and refused to feed them until they allowed him to make this show right. the way that he wanted to. In fact, is what moving forward, they're going to yeah. call this, this type of shooting schedule where you, you cover a year and three episodes. They're going to call it the Tony effect. All right. Yes. The, the, the Gilroy Tony, method. It, it's, <laughs> I like that's even better or just the Gilroy. Like they're going to go yeah. in and the director is going to be talking to the producer and the showrunner be like, all right, so we got this, this, and this. We need to kind of move this character a few years into the future by the end of the of season two. And someone around the table goes, I got it. Deploy the Gilroy effect. And they're yes. like, oh, my God, oh. you fucking genius. <laughs> it's like, ah, like they're all going crazy. Like, oh, you just solved like uh, uh, peace on Earth. I mean, something that amazing will be solved with the Gilroy effect <laughs> in a future Star Wars property. So be on the lookout. Um, we love him. We'll never leave him. <laughs> In his name, we speak Tony Gilroy. Zig Hill. All right. So uh, we do have one more little Andor deal that I, that I popped up when when Nick was returning here. And th- this one, you know, I, I, I titled it. I, I essentially say, according to the cast, Andor could have also been called Mothma. And, you know, I, I've been on this show as we're leading up to Andor talking about how the, the character of Mon Mothma is, is probably what I'm most excited for. So when I read this interview from Genevieve O'Reilly, who has played her since Revenge of the Sith, I was like, OK, good. 
it does sound like we are going to get a an extremely heavy helping of Mon Mothma, so much so that the show literally could have been titled after her instead of Cassian. In fact, that comes from Diego himself, who um, early on said, you know, she's Mon Mothma. You're going to learn just as much about her in season one as you are going uh, as you are with Cassian. So she Don't let really Elon is. Musk watch this. Exactly. Oh no, she, a strong lady. Is she, is she? Yeah, but is she? Can she beat people up though? Like, it's, yeah. I mean, she also has to be physically tough, I think. Um. So, anyways, it, it does us Mon Mothmers out there, us us fanboys of the Mon. It sounds like we are going to get the payoff we're we're looking for. So, um, the the article goes into just talking with Genevieve O'Reilly, like I said, who's been playing the character since her her twenties. First played her in Revenge of the Sith. Sadly, most of those ended up on the cutting room floor unless you watched the deleted scenes. She then went on to voice her in Star Wars Rebels, and then obviously reprised her in Rogue One. And now we're gonna get the the most Mon Mothma we've ever gotten via Andor. So um, Genevieve sat down with Entertainment Weekly and kind of discussed this, like how fans finally, after all these years, are going to get a little more behind the the senatorial robes, if you will. Uh, in fact, she she even talks about taking those robes off and how we are going to see the lady, the the wife of a husband, and and what motivates her. So you know, we're, she's talking about the character and the development here. So she says, we really get to develop her as a character and we get to learn about her, not just as a Senator, but as a woman, a woe man. In fact, we learn what her life is like, what she has to wrestle with. What are the dangers to her life? What it costs to be her Tony's writing. Here we go. You got, you always got to give praise mm-hmm. to Lord Gilroy. Tony's writing is so intricate and so taut. It lives in this world of the spy genre, of a socio-political drama, and yet it's set within a Star Wars world. Remember, he's a genius. Yes. So it feels universal and intimate all at once. So that's her way of saying, we made a spy show with a Star yeah. Wars skin. So you got bamboozled, fanboys. Yeah. Suck it. <laughs> I, no, I but will I, say, Ted, like, I, I want to put this out there. Like, I don't think that... That Andor is going to be bad. I think that Andor is going to be a great show. Yeah, we, we just, just like never, having fun with Tony Gilroy. Yeah, That's it. I've just never seen a show marketed so based on a person that ninety percent of people don't know. Like, <laughs> it's hilarious. Like, like oh, I Tony's writing it. is so this and so that. Yeah. Like they're so uh, they're so hyperbolic about him. It really yeah. does feel like in their contracts. Like you have to say ten nice things about Tony in any interview in every, you do. In every interview. Like I could understand it if it was like if it was George or if it was somebody like Peter Jackson or if it was like one of these yeah. like these even like Dave Filoni Mar- maybe Martin like, Scorsese like people who are like like these filmmakers who are transcendent above like you know who have proven time and time and time again with their work that like they are just on another level. But yeah. you're talking about a guy <laughs> who has literally like. Who's, who, who like says that he hates Star Wars yeah. and is the, the only reason that anybody knows his name is because of Star Wars. <laughs> like, it's just, it's, it's <laughs> it I've true. never seen anything like it before. <laughs> I mean, I, I really had no clue who the dude was. And even when I yeah. looked at his credits, like you said, I mean, he's still just a writer. So you, you never really hear about writers unless they win an Oscar 
for the screenplay writing yeah for uh, writing uh, and he never has yeah um but my goodness here he is i mean genevieve is, is so speaking wild. his praise so you just do not know with maybe this is it maybe he <laughs> with, gets with his our his, man gilroy his and Emmy. i hope this he does because I, I mean I do. listen like, dude as much as we as much as we you know make fun of the guy and, and the situation and his narcissism if he puts out this amazing thing that he's telling us that he has crafted, that's all the better for Star Wars world and fans, I would think. Uh, um, in fact, Tony may be the guy that a lot of Star Wars fans who hate Star Wars, they, they may, he may be the ticket. Yeah, he may you know, th- Those in. fans <laughs> that, that got all pissed off at Obi-Wan Kenobi because of volumes or, you know, Empire didn't send enough TIE fighters maybe he's gonna he's gonna scratch that that itch that these you know the certain wing of the fandom wants um and i hope he does but uh, until he until we see andor we're gonna sit here and have fun with him because he is one of the most only talking point of this show (laughs) he is one of the most confident arrogant narcissistic people in hollywood i've ever read about and that's that's saying a lot because that's that's what that whole industry is you have to be a narcissist to be in that industry you have to you have to think that everything you do is better and people need to see it um so we'll see like i said we're we're just having fun here hopefully uh, there's no gilroys that listen to the podcast uh we we love the guy (laughs) actually i think the confidence is is something to be applauded hopefully it pays off though that's the the one thing you got to be careful about when you uh, you could, they could end up like Nick has said a few times, having a, a TLJ on their hands. Uh, once the fans get to sink their fangs into it, if you will. <laughs> um, so anyways, it, it, that is funny that even Genevieve is going right to Tony and how great he is. But Nick, I, I guess uh, maybe it's this quote here. Yeah. This, this here, here's the next quote. So O'Reilly went on the interview and, you know, and, and how she draws inspiration from the Return of the Jedi portrayal of Mon Mothma. And she was talking like, you know, that that she's only in that one scene. She's only one of four women that speak in the first three Star Wars movies. Think about that. Yeah. Um, but Genevieve's like, I, I just felt the pain in this character, like the way she delivered the, the many Bothans and and really just kind of delivering that 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 breakdown on what they need to do for the Battle of Endor. She, that's where she used to kind of guide her performance of the character. And so Genevieve is saying, you can see when Caroline does that scene, for me, there was always a pain at the heart of it. You could see that she was carrying a pain. And I was really curious about what that was. What has happened in this women, woman's life? What has it cost to be her? What are the sacrifices that she has had to make along the way to be that leader of the rebellion? And if you think about it, Nick, we don't know shit about her. But to, to reach her level, to want to reach her level within the Rebel Alliance, something pretty bogus has had to have happened to her or will happen to her. So my question to you, what, what do you think? Why, why do you think a character like Mon Mothma, who probably, if she wanted to, could live a great life under the Empire? I mean, she's, she's already a senator. If she just plays the game, toes the line, goes on Fox News and defends Palpatine, mm-hmm. she could have a great life, right? I mean, she could yeah. live like a queen, more or less, within the Empire. So 
I guess, what do you think drives her to ultimately becoming the, the face, the political face of the Rebel Alliance? Is, is it something personally that tragically happens to her? Or is she more like a Bail Organa and you just feel like they, she was born as you know, more of a, a liberal and lover of freedom? Yeah, I think that there, like, I mean, there are moments in history that, like, even in, like, real history, not just fake history, um, like, I, and by fake history, I mean, like, history, like, Star Wars history, where, like, there is just, like, a clear demarcation point to where, like, you know, things are running smoothly and things are happening the way that they should happen in, like, a very organized society or, in like, a, like, through democratic process. And then there is a clear line of demarcation where that changes. And there are those who really do like, like who really do just like they're on the forefront of it and they notice it right away. And I feel like that's what Mon Mothma's thing was. Like she just noticed the corruption immediately. And she was like, we need to do something about this. Like we need to, um, you know, be prepared for the fallout that is going to come from this unprecedented reach for power that Palpatine made. And I feel like there are a lot of people who get caught up in like the fervor of what's happening, especially in the star Wars history where like it's wartime and like they're like, it, it is, it doesn't necessarily lend itself to evil that like there was this overreach for power, especially when, there are thousands of Galactic Republic people dying every day because of the war from on the CIS side. But like there are people who can like see through the veneer. And I feel like she was just like one of those people who saw the erosion of democracy and of freedom happening in real time. Right. And she was just quick to to be on it because as at least as far as we know in canon so far, like there was nothing that there was nothing that happened to her. Correct. That would immediately say like, well, now I'm for sure going to be the face of the rebellion. That's what I I guess that's what I'm kind of getting at. But you you raise good points because, I mean, let's be real. Bail Organa is is cut from the same cloth as Mon Mothma. Because a lot of people are like, well, Bail, they blew up Alderaan. I'm like, no, 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 no. They blew up Alderaan well after... Bale was involved in, in the Re- Rebel Alliance. Like, just like Nick said, right around the time of Revenge of the Sith, it's like the the seven, I forget how many senators there were, but it was Mon Mothma, Padme, Bale, I think a Rodian was in there, and a few others. And, and they all were, were kind of like, um, this guy is is a bit unchecked at this point in time, so we, we need to kind of start talking amongst ourselves to try to hold on to any of this democratic government that we now have, because if if we keep letting Palpatine go unchecked and these other systems, just giving them uh, powers left and right, we are going to get destroyed. Uh, A lot of freedoms. I mean, that line everyone brings up now because we're seeing it in America, you know, the Padme says when, and this is how whatever dies to thunderous applause. I mean, you saw a lot of senators were like, yeah, fuck it. We'll go along with this ruse. But there were some, as Nick said, Mon Mothma, Bale, that's just like, they're just good people. They're, they're, yeah. they, they know what is right and what is wrong. 
And regardless if being wrong can line their pockets and give them more power, they're still going to do what is right. So So, I I guess the other thing is why does... If you think about Bail Organa, they 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 kind of use him in the prequels to show a politician's disgust with the way politics are going. I mean, he's the one during yeah. Attack of Clones. He's like punching the 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 that that for whatever they're out on that walkway, seeing all the clones go off to war, and he's punching it like essentially going like "fuck, we lost." Yeah. Now I know where we're headed. We're we're going down this path that I I wanted to avoid. So you always think that Bale was going to be the figurehead, but even by Rogue One, Mon Mothma is the fucking leader. And yeah. this is still before Alderaan is blasted, so we can't say, well, because Bale got blown up. So what makes her the fucking leader? What happens yeah. to her? Why does she become the number one? So, and it sounds like Andor might lead us there, hopefully. Yeah. So I I was looking at her wiki because, again, like... Th- so apparently there is canonical like stuff out there about Mon Mothma being arrested and charged with conspiracy and treason uh. because she was one of the delegation of 2000 who tried to limit the, the expansion of executive powers under Palpatine. So she was one of 63 senators that were arrested. And the only reason that she was released um, and Bale was one of these people arrested too. The only reason that she was released is because she made a public statement claiming to be loyal to the Empire. This came from, again, like, this came from Star Wars The Rebel Files. I don't know what that oh, yeah. is. <laughs> that's that's Tony's like, favorite place to go for canon, yeah. remember? <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> Fan yeah. canon. So apparently this is like a, it's like a right. book that released in 2017, 2018, and so it is canon because it was released under under Disney's right. development and ownership of, of of Star Wars at that time. But like apparently, like we all like we all knew about the you know the delegation. Like we had heard about the delegation of two thousand because that was discussed in a deleted scene in, in in episode three. But we did not know that. Well, at least I didn't know. Apparently, people who read this book did know, but. I didn't know that there were actual arrests that happened because of that. So that is, so maybe like, that's probably a reason why that she's kind of, you know, all in on the, on the rebellion right from the beginning. Cause she was arrested for trying to stop the expansion of uh, executive powers to Palpatine during that time period. And now, and then the only way that she could get out was to give a false declaration of, of, uh, of fealty to the empire essentially. So, um, yeah, I, I guess if you yeah. think about it, I mean, in the end, a lot of the rebel leaders, it's not like, cause they were senators. They were well off. They were, I mean, let, let's be real. Bale was essentially a King. I mean, he lived yeah. in a fucking castle. So they, they were pretty well to do. Uh, I forgot the point I was going with here. I, I did have a point, it's, but it, it like has people, since been people lost. like that don't typically put themselves in positions to where they could fall. Like if yeah, you are comfortable, okay, exactly, exactly. So th- that's why I don't know. It, it's sometimes it's hard to think about why would a character like Bale or why would a character like Mon go to such lengths to do what is right when they know that they'll lose everything and a lot of times we 
we want to identify a, a tragedy that has happened to them to allow them to do that. So I think that's why I'm going like, well, you know, did, did the Empire fucking shoot her dog or is her husband going to get his throat slit in front of her because she doesn't do something? Is that the impetus or is she kind of like Bail Organa? She's just one of these good fucking people down to her core and is always going to fight for the little person and is always going to do what is right even if it means losing her power her position her her cash flow you name it yeah i mean it's it will be interesting to see how they like one at what point they pick it up yeah like what at what point do they pick up after uh revenge of the sith do we see her arrest and is that what is the ultimate spurring moment into her yeah, yeah. becoming I, mean, could, I, I i think i mean outside of maybe a quick flashback to show his home planet getting wiped out I, I think they're running with season one is five years before rogue one so you know the the empire's truly peaking it, it is yeah it is pretty much so by that timeline her she would have been arrested and released already more than likely yeah i mean yeah. It, it, at the time we're coming into andor like we've said the the senate is it's a, it's a fucking sham for the most part like that, that's why i, I want to see if they even fill up the the rotunda anymore if people even come in for votes or if it's just so bullshit now that only the serious people show up just cuz they're serious and they're like they're, they they have to see for themselves like how how uh, farcical the Senate has become. Uh, yeah. The last little thing Genevieve had to say, and again, it's just teasing. We're, we're going to get more than just the white robe. We're, we're finally going to see how Mon Mothma uh, uses her other skills beyond, again, being a figurehead. And I do think Nick, through the trailer and, and the fact that she meets with the Luthan character, she's going to be doing some shady shit as a very important person. And, yeah, you know, that's maybe that's how she gains credibility within the Rebel Alliance. And, and maybe that's why she becomes the figurehead, because she was one of the first prominent Senate members to be like, you know what? We need to start getting down and dirty. We, we need to start recruiting some shady fucking people. Uh, we need the Luthans out there scouting the galaxy for supplies, ships, weapons, everything. And she's kind of using some of the powers of her office to assist in that. But... Um, it, she's telling us, you know, we're going to see her as we've seen her talking to senators, but we're going to see her at home talking with her husband. We're going to get Mon Mothma public version and private version. Every one of you knows you have two versions of yourself. And if you don't, you're lying. Every one of us has a mask, I like to say, that we put on. And that mask usually comes on in public. It could be at public events. It could be at parties. But a lot of times, a lot of us have to put a mask on at work because if we didn't, we'd probably lose our jobs, me in particular. Like if I went into work the way I am, I probably wouldn't last too long, even with tenure. So I wear a mask and that mask is it's pretty loose. It's hanging off. Trust me, like I, I let a lot of personality into my work. But every one of us has our true self and then a public facing. So I'm interested to see who is this true Mon Mothma? Is she vulnerable? You know, she never looks vulnerable in her in her Senate gown or in her her whites, her rebel whites. So what is she like in private? 
Um, and, and, you know, Genevieve just says, like, you're, you're going to get to see her literally and figuratively take off her cloak and reveal herself as a woman in a way we've never seen before. Don't get me excited, Genevieve. That is kind of titillating right there, if you know what I'm saying. So <laughs> hopefully she's uh, talking about a little, maybe she's going to do a little bit of a strip tease for her husband. Uh, but I don't think that's what she meant. So. Uh, in all seriousness, I've been saying it since day one. I think Mon Mothma is going to be the sleeper hit of the show, and at least the narratives revolving around her character. Um, maybe not for everyone, but lore geeks like myself, I think some of the juiciest content is going to revolve around Mon Mothma and what she's up to as she and others are putting together the Rebel Alliance. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm all excited right. to see her journey for sure. So how are we doing here? Not too bad. So we're not going to do Matt Mando game today, but we are going to do our, our special topic. So special topic here. We're, we're staying with soon to be released Star Wars properties. You know, last two weeks we've, we've ran special topics. First week we did, you know, what we'd like to see narratively in Andor. And then we, we, we pivoted to what are some of the legacy characters or known characters we'd like to see. So, hey, we're going to do something similar to Bad Batch because it's still coming out September 28th, whether Disney wants to make it official or not. Uh, maybe we'll get some news Thursday of this week, which is uh, I think that's Disney Plus Day. No, but so far from what I've been seeing, it has stayed on the schedule for September 28th. So this week, our little special topic is going to be five things that Matt and Nick, which may end up being 10 things that Matt and Nick would like to see in Bad Batch Season 2. So because I am a good host, Nick, why don't you go ahead and start okay. with one of your so, picks? So for me, Bad Batch Season 2 is obviously going to be like my main focus is on Crosshair's story. So like seeing what the resolution of, cause I say resolution because I don't think that you can continue to stretch out the Crosshair storyline too much longer. Like it's, it's already kind of like by the end of season one and his like, like his allegiance to the, the now empire is already starting to kind of wane. Yep. So for me, I want to see like the resolution of his storyline, whether it be by death or by, I guess you would call it dishonor to the, to the empire and then switch back to the, you know, his friends and stuff. So first up for me is definitely like, I'll call it like a relatively quick resolution to the, to the crosshair storyline one it, way or the other. It's funny you mentioned that Nick. Cause I literally, that was going to be one of mine. I, I okay. in, my, in my head, it was like, can we resolve the crosshair thing by the end of season two? And yeah. the crosshair thing is exactly what Nick is saying. I do feel like if we return to this whole, you know, crosshairs with the Empire, but is he and he, he's only with the Empire because he's got a hard, hard on for Clone Force 99 and taking him out. We've been there, done that. I mean, so yeah. much so that he helped them escape certain death, yet he still is like, no, good surgeon follow order. It's like, okay. So as I'm with you, man. Like, how much longer can we continue that? Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, I, I think they drag it out the entire season, but I do <laughs> think they resolve it going into hopefully a, a season three. But I, I was right with you. Like, we were, we were thinking the same on that one. All yeah. right. 
my first one here is I want a deeper dive or at least another episode uh, dedicated to the whole Alpha and Omega theme between Boba and Omega. Uh, I, I don't think you can just casually bring that up in season one and, and literally have text say Alpha and Omega. Uh, I mean, come on. Yeah, they are. They are fucking twins. Of Django Fett. I mean, we're essentially, we see, we have Django Fett with a wiener and Django Fett with a vagina. Mm -hmm. That is the Alpha and Omega. So I want, I want them to add another layer to that. Uh, it, it could be as simple as running in the Boba Fett and, and, and letting her know like, Hey, that's technically your, your twin brother. Uh, yeah. we know right now he's kind of a fuck up, but you guys literally have the same DNA skill sets. He is kind of a badass, even though he's a bit of a teenage punk at this point in time. Yeah, uh, I, I just I mean, come on. You don't introduce that concept without additional payoffs uh, yeah. so much. So I, I think at some point it could bleed into live action Boba Fett played by Tim Morrison. Yeah, uh, I agree. Um, especially my, this whole thing with family with the Tuscans, like they, they just, they've teed it up. Boba, you've got a fucking family member out there. Go find her in season two, pal. But let's, let's yeah. kind of lay, lay the groundwork for that in bad batch. Yeah, for sure. And I'll like my next one, I'll, I'll kind of spin off of that too. Cause it's kind of Omega focus and it's, it's not really about her, her link to Boba, but like her maturation process, because towards the end of season one, like throughout the majority of season one, Clone Force 99 looked at her as like, okay, we just need to protect her. Like she is our, our cause to protect. But now, especially towards the end of it, after the season or after the episode where we saw her essentially save Hunter's life, like I feel like the perception around Omega and what her, like what she can do for the team has changed a lot. So like building, I want to see like more building on that, like more, of her maturation process more showing her as like another member of the team yep. and not just like, okay, we like Omega's here and it's us. We're protecting Omega. Omega, you stay in the ship while we go do what we're going to do. And then, you know, she's not going to stay on the ship. Hijinks occur and stuff like that. Like yeah. I want to see her become an active participant in Clone Force 99. Show her, do we know Yet, like, if there is going to be a time jump, or if we are picking up, like, basically right where we left off, which there, was the there is it, it. The duration has not been given, but there is a slight time jump for sure. I mean, they. Okay. I, I have a graphic up, Nick, where you can see their new armor. I know it's just been yeah. painted, so they could have done that in a week. But Omega is significantly taller and 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 looks slightly okay. different like you, you can tell it, it's very similar to how they aged boba in the clone wars where they started off he, he was like little tiny daniel logan boba yeah but by you know season two or three he was a little lengthier kind of going through his growth spurt and and, that, and i think that's what they've done for omega um, yeah it, it's definitely not going to be a direct follow-up so uh, i would say at least a year has gone by i think we we can be safe in saying that yeah. Uh, so but it might even be longer than that. In that case, I definitely like want to see a heavy focus on like yeah. how she's changed and what role she has taken within the group now. Um, because that's also going to change the dynamic with Crosshair. Like if Crosshair, if we do get a, a resolution with the Crosshair story that is not just him dying, um, 
then you're going to have to like work with that kind of new team dynamic because it's not the same team that you were a part Correct. of when you left. So that's one thing that I'm very interested. Yeah, to no, see I, is, is her I growth. think you're, you're, you're spot on. And I do think they're going to pay off on that. Cause just, I mean, in the trailer, she no longer felt like their ward. She felt like their, their teammate. Exactly. Um, part of the family. She's even wearing armor now that, that matches their new, their new paint scheme. So, um, I think you will get that wish. All right. My next one here is, you know, let, let's get a little more inside uh, Mount Tantis. That's that mountain we see at the very end on, on Wayland where they brought, uh, what's her name? Nala Say. And uh, it, from other, I guess not canon anymore, but but this this mountain was where a lot of weird cloning shit was going on during Heir to the Empire type of stuff. So one would have to think that Dave and company are, are going to be using it for similar purposes. And we do know, I mean, they, they've slowly been doing it in the Mandoverse. And I think they even teased it in Bad Batch Season 1. They are going to use programs like the Bad Batch and the Mandoverse to give us some backstory to flesh out more of the happenings that have already taken place by the time we get to the sequel trilogy. So... You know, let's get into Mount Tantus. Is Thrawn involved at this point in time or not? Or have they completely shifted from what that mountain's use was in Heir to the Empire? Uh, is it now more relegated to Palpatine, dark side cloning experiments? Mm -hmm. uh, stuff like that. So uh, hopefully we get a peek inside the mountain. And specifically, are we getting closer to kind of understanding what the Empire wanted with Nala Say, considering that by the end of Bad Batch season one, what they do, they blew up the Kaminoan facilities and essentially said, we don't need you people anymore because your clones are too <laughs> expensive and we just took your best scientists. So, so yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a good one. And I mean, this may be semi related, but I think that this one's probably the biggest swing and more, most likely not to happen. But I, I want to see if we can get like a, a Grogu check-in in season two, because up to this point in terms of like Grogu's history, we, we know that he was in, like he was an active member of the Jedi order in some capacity. Like, I mean, granted as a child, like as a baby during the time of the fall of the Republic, like we know that he was in the Jedi temple. We know that he somehow got out and we know that from that point, he essentially, we assume that he kind of bounces around until he falls into the hands of Din in the beginning of the Mandalorian. So like, is there any possible way that like the Clone Force 99, the Bad Batch can like intersect with, with Grogu on like this really weird journey that he's on right now? Like, are they... Is there somebody out there that knows about him? We know that Ahsoka knows that that Grogu is out there because she has met him. So there's like, do they get a do they get a, a a mission from Fulcrum to be like, hey, you guys are looking for a Jedi, but it's a very special Jedi, and essentially sends them on a mission to try to find Grogu. Like, could, is that a possibility for season two, or is that a, a bit of a reach? Do you think? Well I don't, well, I actually, I'll, I'll go ahead and, and kick off my next one because I think it, it matches or butts up to what you're saying. So first things first, we know that they definitely don't rescue him from the temple. 
because yeah. they, they they were off planet when yeah, they Order sixty six kicked off. I mean, they 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 were there. They got to see what Order sixty six did, and that's for, you know where Crosshair started going funky. So we know that they they don't grab him from the temple. But I'm with you, Nick. I, I do think they could be involved in some capacity in his journeys in between the fall of the Republic. In him popping up many years later in the fucking shed of what seemed to be some sort of criminal hangout, right? I mean, it was just yeah. a bunch of it's like just- fucking Nick toes and shit hanging yeah. out in like a bunker that had a baby enclosed in a, a bassinet, like a, a futuristic yeah. bassinet. So, yeah, I'm no. So, one of my once kind of butts up to this in, in the way I envision how they could get involved. And, and I'm saying, why not get the Bad Batch mixed up with the path? Okay. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. Like a Roken. Could we see the Bad Batch interacting with Roken, uh, with Tala at this point in time? It, it, has she made the decision to uh, be a spy? Uh, could, you know, if we, if we get mixed up in the path, that's kind of the Grogu angle. Maybe they're not doing a job to save Grogu, but maybe they hear about like, hey, we've got this, this, it looks like a baby thing. He's like this green thing. He looks like nothing else except for that one Jedi master that we used to hear about. Um, But I could see the path. And again, the path is not the, the Rebel Alliance. The path was specifically to save Force Sensitives from Order 66 and the Inquisitors. Yeah, but why not? If you're a path, you're probably interacting maybe with some of the early rebel cells to gain intel. Why not hire a group like Clone Force ninety nine to do a job for you, even if it's to just be security or protection? And through that, Nick, maybe you hear about like, well, this one child keeps getting away, or we can't find this one powerful child that we know we need to get, but we can't, and blah, blah, blah. So I don't directly think the Bad Batch is going to interact with Grogu, but I I can see like a, kind of like a tangentially attached story that us as fans will know about who the people are talking about, where the Bad Batch might not exactly know that, oh, they're talking about this guy that, for all we know, could become one of the most powerful Jedi Mandalorians in all of Star Wars when it's all said and done. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that that's a good call. I do, yeah, like, now that I think about it, like, them directly interacting with Grogu is highly unlikely to happen because, like, if you're if you're a member of the, of the early seeds of the Rebellion, like, at this point during yeah. Season 2... They're like, a lightning like, rod, you, man. They're a lightning yeah. rod. Are you going to trust a bunch of clones? No, just no fucking way. That's going to happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that's a good call. Cause think about it. Um, I mean, crosshairs still knows about them. Rampart still knows about them. So they know that the, like the bad batch, they're probably on wanted posters where yeah. early people starting the rebellion. No one knows about them yet. Like you could argue they, they, they've forgotten about captain Rex at this point in time. You know, yeah. most most people probably think he died during the Clone Wars. They're like, hey, whatever. Mm-hmm. That's why Rex is allowed to operate throughout this entire time period with Ahsoka behind the scenes, helping to build up the Rebel Alliance. Now, why does Rex end up before the job's done, retiring to a desert planet with two of his old <laughs> overweight clone buddies? I don't know, yeah. but the Bad that. Batch doesn't have <laughs> the uh, 
doesn't have the ability to, to just kind of be nobodies at this point in time. They, they're known entities and they, they probably are being constantly hunted by the Empire thanks to Crosshair. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, probably not the best crew to send after a highly prized Jedi baby that you want to take care of. Um, all right. So my next one is actually kind of uh, like kind of related to what we were just talking about in Andor. And like I didn't want to draw too many like crossover threads between Andor and Bad Batch, even though they're they're like they're essentially functioning in almost the same time period. Like, you know, they're, they're very close to each other and they're dealing with very similar things like. Uh, the formation of the rebellion, the 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 ongoing like push against the imperial vice grip that's tightening against the galaxy. Like both of these shows are kind of dealing with these same themes, but like one person that could easily intersect into both of those realms is Mon Mothma. I mean, Mon Mothma is one we know a an imperial senator, but we also know is the the burgeoning head of the rebellion, and given given the level of interaction that the Bad Batch has already had with people who are instrumental in the formation of rebel cells, I, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that uh, we could get Genevieve O'Reilly voicing a, a uh, you know, a cartoon version she's of done it in, Mothma. She's done it in Star Wars Rebels, so, you know, she's yeah, not so. averse to it. I mean, some of, some of the mains don't want to voice their characters in animated, yeah. some do. And she's she has not one. that. Yeah, no, yeah, I, I mean, totally, because you know, we don't know the time jump between season one, and season two. But I, I still think we're going to be at best three to four years post the fall of the Republic, probably yeah. closer to three years. So shit's still sketchy. The Empire's still ascending. They're still trying to flex their muscle without making themselves look like a, a fascist regime. Right. They're still yeah. selling that we're doing this for security and all that bullshit. Uh, so yeah, a Mon Mothma uh, during this time is going to be different than a Mon Mothma during the Kenobi timeline. Going to be different during the Andor timeline. Exactly. You know, she, she's going to have years to kind of realize, like, holy shit, what did we get ourselves into? I mean, even even two or three years in, I'm sure someone like Mon and and Bale, they're going like, oh fuck, I I I see the writing on the wall. Like, it's only a matter of time before there's there's no freedom left in this galaxy. But they're still probably holding on hope that they can still pull the the old levers of the of the Republic and and, and try to contain this emperor and this empire a bit. Uh, but, you know, by the Kenobi timeline, you could already tell Bale's starting to realize, like, this is a sham. I'm participating in a sham and we need to start doing things kind of under the radar to cut the head off of this fucking thing. Or we're all fucked at, at yeah. a certain point in time. Exactly. So. Okay. Yeah, I mean th that that whole interaction is going to be interesting. So, what's your last one? Well, I have I have two more because I think we were. Oh yeah, because you, you're all yeah, I, place. My, yeah. <laughs> all right. So, but one one's just real quick, and this is more of like a, a visual thing. But I, I want to start seeing the intermixing of TK and clone units, because mm -hmm. by the yeah. end of the Bad Batch. They, their main force was was still the clones. I know we went to that planet where uh, commandos were training TKs, but I but I want to see like like you know two three years after the fall of Republic, are we already are they mixed battalions or did the Empire literally just go okay that's enough of the clones you're all dead 
or was it more of like a, a phased in approach? Because I, I believe in Andor and some of the trailers, we, we still saw clones being used. Now, were these clones mm-hmm. still working for the Empire? Were they working for a rebel cell? Are they rebels that just had clone armor? Who knows? But yeah. you would think at this point in time, Bad Batch Season 2, that the Empire is starting to roll out their cheaper, uh, more affordable uh, easier less trained yeah less <laughs> trained less skilled but easier to build up and, and just slap you on a battlefield yeah. force in the tks aka the stormtroopers so yes uh, let, let's get those guys mixed together I, I would like to see a mixed unit of clones and tks to kind of see is it yeah like how it went with crosshairs on his first venture where he's shooting some of the regular tks yeah because <laughs> they aren't robotic and as skilled or it or is there like some disdain in there where, you know, the TKs are starting to outnumber the clones and kind of looking at them as as lesser beings because they are clones and they were just tools. They're not really supposed to be real people. I think you can have some interesting stories with those two factions of white armor wearing warriors. Yeah, definitely. I mean, even getting to see like the conscription process, like how are they getting these people? Are yeah. they literally just like landing on planets and fucking rounding people up? Or is it like, volunteer? It seemed volunteer yeah. during Bad Batch season one. Like those one, the few yeah. TKs were like, hey, or the ones that were in the the clone special unit with Crosshair. They're like, yeah, we yeah. Were, we're ready to do this shit, but I'm blue. Or like Nick said, has it become probably what like, Russia is like right now where, you know, every yeah, week like, if you're a male, you got to worry if someone's going to come to your neighborhood and fucking throw you into an army truck. So, yeah, exactly. All right. So, and then, yeah, all right. That's did a you, good one. You, you went through your five because we kind of. Yeah, I got, I got one more. Oh, you got one I more got and then I got one. All right, go ahead. Yeah, I got one more. So my one more is Death Star, baby. Like, where are we at? Do we get to see anything on the Death Star? I mean, because right now, I mean, we saw at the end of, of ROTS, like, construction is underway. Yeah, they, like, they, they had the scaffolding out, if anything, by the end of ROTS. Yeah. So are we going to get, like, is this series going to be used as, like, a check-in on the Death Star progress and stuff like that? Or are they going to leave that for, you know, Andor? Andor, Are they going to leave that for other series and stuff like that? Because even within Rebels, like, you don't really, like, get to see that much of the Death Star. Not at all. I I think... Does it even get mentioned? I don't even think I, it gets referred to as a Death Star. It might get mentioned yeah. as like the other project competing for Thrawn's dollars. That's and exactly time. what I was going to say. Yeah. Is like, is like the only time that we really got to see it or really heard of it prior was because Thrawn was actively like lobbying against it right. during the Rebels' yeah, time. He, he wanted the fucking resources that were being sucked up to the Death Star. He wanted it for yeah. the the Defender. Okay. Exactly. Yeah, no, that'd be um, cool. I, I would like that. I mean, that scratches my lore prequel type of OCDs. Like, all right, let's let's get a stage build. Does it look like Death Star 2 at this point in time? Uh, yeah. I, as a kid, I always like, like Death Star built. 2 like always amazed me because it looked like a face to me. It looked like a person, right? You had the nose coming out. You had the eye there, the, the disc. And wasn't Death Star 2 technically bigger than Death Star 1, I think? Yeah. Like, like yeah. if they actually it, it, finished it, was, it, it would have been a little bit bigger. Yeah, there was no way given the given how death both Death Stars were presented to us that you could actually know that it was bigger because it was just a big ball yeah. in space with <laughs> right. no <laughs> reference point around. Exactly, it. exactly. So like, but it yeah, it technically was larger than the next one. So okay. their idea was let's not do ships, let's make a big ball. When that one fails, just make a bigger ball. 
And that's and, surely. And then when that one work, failed, right? forty years down the road, they're like, "Let's make a really big fucking ball." In yeah. fact, let's just take a goddamn planet this time, yeah. core it out, and turn it into a fucking shooting yeah. uh, laser. When you, death. when you take a planet, you don't have to build the outside of it. The outside's right. already done. All you, you gotta do is just put the shit on the inside of there it. There are no exhaust ports in planets, so you can't no. blow it up with just a proton <laughs> torpedo hit, or can you? Yeah, uh, I think well. Poe Poe had something to say about that. So, exactly. so yeah, uh, that was my my fifth yeah, one. Was I, like, I, do I, we get a, a Death Star check in? I think I, I could nice. definitely get down with some Death Star builds, right? You know, do a little little clerks thing. Yeah, maybe, ch- maybe check yeah. in on the on the plumbers on or the plumbers. Or, yeah, yeah, the the, the electric <laughs> the um, electrician union. What they're Dude, up I to. Could, I could see that happening as like a comedic scene where like one of the contracted plumbers comes up and be like, man, we, we need more PVC pipe. We don't yeah. have enough. <laughs> like we need, like if you want toilets on every level, right. we need the materials. Yeah, he's like this, this fucking Palpatine guy. He wants those <laughs> solo toilets on every fucking floor. We got to have multiple water runs there because they're shooting it up their ass. They got to flush it. Yeah. So I, I could get down on that. Yeah. All right. My last one, it it's a slight cheat towards if we do a special topic next week on legacy characters we'd like to see. So kind of take it under the the guise of more of I want to see the mission versus the character that the mission could net. So I want to see the mission to save Wolf, right? Okay. We, yes. we got the yeah. mission last year to to save Gregor. So are they going to do something similar in season two and show us how Wolf makes it back to the fold? Yeah. Because you, you kind of have to, those were the two named clones, even more so than Cody because of what happened in star Wars rebels. You had to uh, account for them in some form or fashion. And the fact that they've already done it with Gregor, it just kind of sets it up to, all right, you gotta, you gotta rescue the, the third of the old clone trio that we uh, came to meet and love again in star Wars rebels. And that would be, wolf you know yeah. is is he in another facility like gregor was uh, or is he going to be kind of like cody where his chip did go off but like hauser he's already starting to question things like what what am i doing why why are we doing this because uh, i think that that's the angle they're taking with cody at least based on what we've been teased with where cody's working with crosshair but he's also going like dude is it is this really what we should be doing is this why we were created is, yeah. is this what we used to do is this how we used to act so yeah the the mission maybe i'll I'll save wolf for a character and cheat like i said for next week so <laughs> there you go those are matt and nicks aka the star wars time shows once for plot points in bad batch season two all right so that takes us to this week's version of the SWTS fan segment. That's right. You heard me correctly. We're the only Star Wars fan podcast that dedicates a segment every week to its fans. So the first way to get mixed up in the Star Wars Time Show fan segment is our question of the week. I pose the question every Tuesday on our Instagram account at Star Wars Time Show. So look for it in our stories 
as well as the posts. Leave a comment. And uh, if there's only two of you to leave a comment, guess what? You're going to make the show. If there's five of you that leave a comment, you're going to make the show. If there's six of you, one of you is not going to make the show. So uh, (laughs) please try to leave comments so we have some to choose from. And and Nick just doesn't do the old uh, screen grab. So yeah. let's get into it, Nick. And also, I have to announce some longtime fans will be excited about this announcement because it's been, I think, well over a year since this has happened during a live. I've got to piss my fucking brains out. So Oh, shit. There I'm going to go ahead and, and, and kick off the question real quick for Nick to start reading. I'm going to run to the little boy's room and let this thing loose because it is starting to come out my eyes. <laughs> so, hold on let me get the the screen there we go so uh go ahead nick kick it off and then i'll switch to the first question and while you're reading the first uh, response i'm going to be taking a leak there we go okay so the question of the week is who is more than likely going to appear in andor palpatine vader or thrawn and why okay and i'll open up your first one and maybe riff on it for a second while i'm taking a leak ready go yes go all right so the first one is a star wars toy story he says i know it's a non-answer but i feel like palpatine is the least likely i'm torn between thrawn and vader i feel like ian mcdermott was around for filming for like five minutes for his hologram appearance if he was on set at all Thrawn and Vader were possibly filming a lot contemporaneously to the Andor shooting. Vader feels unnecessary, so I'm going to say Thrawn. I'm going to hope for Thrawn. I mean, yeah, I I think the reason that Matt posed this question is because, like, there are a lot of people who could actually fall into this show pretty easily, Um, especially given, like you were saying, or like a Star Wars tour, so we were saying, like, a lot of filming was happening with these characters anyway, so... Um, yeah, I mean, Thrawn's a, Thrawn is a solid answer, um, but all of them, I Come think, back. are possibilities. So, yes, there we go. Yeah, you're um, right. I, I mean, I, I honestly, th- I know the question was kind of weak this week. I'll be the first one to admit it. I was, I was really struggling because we, we had zero topics. I haven't even, I didn't even finish, figure out our, our special topic before I posed the question or I would have made it Bad Batch base. But Nick is correct. I, I, all three of these characters could clearly be an Andor. Mm-hmm. But is there a reason for them to be there and will they make it better? That's kind of where I was getting. And it sounds like yeah. a Star Wars Toy Story got the prompt. So yeah, good good reply so, there. All right, next stuff one. there. Next one is Redneck Nerd 2004. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, he says Thrawn because Disney has been hinting at his return since Mando season two. And this will be a perfect time to introduce him to new fans and explore his motives. Um, I, I, I tend to, to agree with that response. There, there's been a lot of like small teases towards um, Thrawn. And my question is-, is, do you think the 2004 marks the date Redneck Nerd 2004 became a redneck, a nerd, or, when he, was born. or he became a redneck nerd? I, I mean, at this point, too, it's not even outside of the realm of possibility to say that that's the year he was born because that would make him 18. <laughs> so right. um, it may be the year he was born. And like, uh, it's a good profile pick for Red, Redneck Nerd. You got, well, you got an AR-15 on there. Yeah. So looking good. Yeah, All right. AR, Thank yeah. you, Redneck Nerd. We yeah, speak yeah. your name. Thank you so much. All right. Next up is Luca Gerasimenko. He says, I think Vader and maybe Palpy 
Like, seriously, there is no Star Wars without a glimpse of Vader, even for a sec, even if it's a flashback. Like, there is always Vader. <laughs> he's I mean, not, he's not wrong. kind of not wrong. And, and it makes sense wrong. considering the maker has said that Star Wars is the story of Anakin Skywalker. So, yeah. Um, but he, he is right. It, <laughs> you can kind of plug Vader in anywhere and he's going to get a reaction even if he's just standing there with his arms crossed. So. Yeah. Dude, I don't know. It's and I feel like I'm gonna go back to 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 the the god himself, Tony Gilroy. I mean, Gilroy made his Star Wars bones on not being afraid to use Vader. So, in a way that like, in a way that no one had ever used Vader before. I mean, yeah. he's the first one. It's like, all right, I've well, not that he would look at Star Wars comic books, but he, he was like, <laughs> all right, I know what I would like if I was a Star Wars fan, and it's this big yeah. hulking machine man fucking people up. And he was right. He was right. He fucking nailed it. It, It's still like the best 45 seconds in Star Wars, in my opinion. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe he does go back to the well. Maybe he is unafraid to use Vader even in this show because he knows people. We know Tony's mantra on legacy characters. As long as it's not a cynical cameo. He'll do it. Yeah. So I guess yes. if he's if he's figured out some sort of masterful you know, narrative, he, he'll bring if him. If Tony's in. gonna do it, it's not cynical. Anything that Tony does is not cynical. It's on. It's on purpose. It's, it's purposeful. It is, yes. <laughs> it is well thought out, executed, and perfectly written. So there's. I, no I mean, chance. I guess we'll, we'll we'll get through them all. And I'll, I'll see what, which character you would have picked. So let's go to the next yeah. one here. Uh, next up says su- uh, super zoom photography says Palpatine because somehow Palpatine returns. That's right. He always does. I like <laughs> he that. He always one. returns. Play, play and then the last the, uh, one, the meme. <laughs> the last one, I just added this one in cause I realized we didn't have five. This is from two, seven, nine, seven studios. He says, gotta be Palpy invader. I think it's too early in the timeline to see Thrawn for season one, at least. I think if anything, you'll see Palpy in Senate situations and I'll say Vader in videos or images. Maybe we'll even get to see uh, Palpy's speech for Empire Day 2 in live action. That'd be cool. Um, well, we saw so the first ever Empire Day speech in live action. That's what he's giving in the Senate. That's the one that was broadcast out to Camino uh, in Bad Batch Season 1. So I'm, I'm guessing Bat's saying... like. Like next, the, Actual, like another have Empire an Empire Day and like him, him giving a talk, which you know would be interesting. I yeah. honestly like, and we is, saw is, an, we saw an Empire Day thing in Rebels, right, right in the beginning. Yes. But that wasn't that wasn't it's, Palpatine. It's, that was that's Price. what I mean. Like he he literally like at this point in time, especially by the Andor timeline, Palpatine's so far removed from giving a fuck about people that all all he's doing is hanging out plotting how he can mess with Darth Vader to make Vader angry and strong and yeah. and ultimately these days we have to think he's plotting his immortality like that that's what yeah. palpatine cares about at this point in time he cares about yeah. ensuring that vader doesn't turn on him and stays angry and keeping himself alive beyond death really yeah. he he's already he's got the galaxy by the balls so as much as i want to see palpatine at a Senate session, I don't think he's, he probably has touched the Senate since that moment in <laughs> Revenge of the Sith. I think he lets yeah. Masamita and, uh, what's her name? Uh, fuck. She ends up turning on him there. The bald headed one. Yeah. Damn I it. can't remember. It's not CEO Bibble. That, like, that's the dude from Naboo. Uh, it, they fuck. think it's fucking his, like, they think that, that she was like banging Palpatine. 
Uh, what's her name? Moore. Her last name's Moore. Slymore. There you go. Slymore. Slymore. Yeah. I was gonna say Skymore, but that but I'm all, I, you can <laughs> almost take this to the bank. I if I, we are getting a Senate scene or at least a glimpse yeah. of it because we we've seen it in stills and whatnot, and we're still talking Andor here. I I think at best you get Masamita and, and Sly in the in the center of the Senate chamber and yeah. maybe a call in from the guy. But I like I said, I think he's so far removed from giving a fuck about the fake Senate that he just lets the underlings play in that sandbox these days. Yeah. Um, as for my thoughts, I think the least likely that we're going to see is probably Palpatine and the most likely, I mean, and maybe this is just me being like a, you know, I don't want to say a Homer, but like wanting to actually see this fucking happen. Like, um, I think it's Thrawn because this is when this is Thrawn's time. Like this is when he is at the height of his power um, in terms of like not only his influence within the Imperial superstructure and specifically the Imperial Navy, but like just as a character overall in Star Wars, like this is before his downfall due to his run-ins with Phoenix Squadron. This is before he even really starts to mess with Phoenix Squadron all that much. Oh, yeah. Like, this is when he is at, like, his most, like, his most influential. Um, So I think that, like, and then, like, we know he's coming eventually. Like, like one of our respondents said, like, Thrawn, the redneck nerd, like, like he, they've been hinting and hinting and hinting, like, this is the time to bring him in and then use this as a juxtaposition to where he's going to be in Ahsoka. I think that these two series play off of each other very heavily, even though they're separated by a lot of time. So I think that this is the moment that you, that you really start to bring Thrawn to prominence. Yeah. All right. So Vader, I, I do, I feel like it's too soon. We, we got a nice dose of Vader through the Kenobi series. And I know this makes no sense from a narrative standpoint, but I feel like it's all right. Put him back in the toolbox for a little bit. Like he, he got to play with us. It was fun. We got some kick-ass moments of him in action. You know, I, you know, don't worry that the, the speech from Anakin to Obi-Wan, that was all fucking fantastic Vader content. So I do feel like breaking him out again in any sort of meaningful capacity is 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 too much and he's not yeah. needed for this story he's not needed for this story i mean he really wasn't even needed for rogue one it was just great to see him and because it butts directly up to a new hope it, it was nice to kind of give that tie-in like look the dude really was chasing these fuckers down from a battle when we meet him in a new hope so you don't need vader in andor Palpatine, you definitely could make an argument for him showing up, but I, I still, like I said, I he at this point in time, he is he is an emperor that doesn't have to focus on the day-to-day -day nonsense of running a government. There is no government. Mm -hmm. He is the government. So yeah. he doesn't need to be at a Senate ses session to get what he needs done. He he'll use his yeah. his his well, mouthpieces. Just think about, I mean, I know that not all of our listeners are American. We have a lot of people in the UK. We have a lot of people elsewhere. Um, but like, just think about like your regular senatorial hearings that happen in your country. Like Joe Biden's not sitting in the Senate chambers whenever they have a fucking meeting. Like, right. That's why the, the vice president is there. Like Kamala Harris is the, is the, uh, 
president of the Senate, essentially. And like even like House congressional meetings and stuff like that, like the president doesn't go to those things like he has representatives there that do those things for him. Um, so it's likely the same situation for Palpatine as well. Like he yeah. just has representatives that that take care of his interests and stuff like that. Now, I mean, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be upset if if they're walking through a city street and there's like a a a, a Palpatine hologram going off that this is on replay. Like, hey, the Empire's here for your safety and security, that type of shit. But I don't think he needs to be involved in any capacity. Same with Vader. So I, I'm with you, man, on Thrawn and, and kind of for the same reasons. A big one being, if you know, and I don't know dick about Thrawn outside of what's been presented in cartoons, okay? So I'm a Thrawn dope, but I know enough to make some educated speculations. And if you think about it, Rogue One, it's all about taking it to the last fucking minute to figure out what the empire has been talking about for years in its secret communiques about this weapon that should help finally squash any rebellion. So Andor mm. is naturally also the, the death star without it being spoken as the death star. It's going to play a major role in Andor. It has to, it has to. Yeah. Uh, because uh, that's what the Rebel Alliance is going to be focused on even back then. Because you got to think about it. The Death Star has been, been in construction, like Nick said, since Revenge of the Sith. So people talk, people get killed for talking, but shit still gets out. So at this point in time, you have to think that they're like, well, you should see what the Empire's up to and this and this facility and this secret thing here. They're conscripting engineers to work on something special. Did you hear what happened to Urso? So it's it's a big hubbub at this point in the Star Wars timeline. So if we if we think about Thrawn and what he was trying to do for the Empire to turn the tide against any rebel uh, cells was his TIE Defender program. Exactly. So it makes perfect sense to bring in a character like Thrawn who has a competing interest to characters that are supporting the Death Star during this time period. So yeah. you could... You could check that box like, all right, Thrawn makes sense for this story because he was indirectly involved in talks about the Death Star because he didn't want it to happen. So that would be great to bring him in for that. And then B is, as we've all been saying, we know Thrawn's coming back thanks to the Mandalorian and Ahsoka. So why not give fans an introduction now when he is a part of the Empire, not the Remnant and whatever scatterfuck thing it is when, when we come to meet it in the, the Mandoverse. So, yeah, I, I think Thrawn is the choice here. Yeah. Um, and, like, it makes me afraid. This is the only thing that, that gives me pause about Tony being Tony. Because, because he, he won't do something like Thrawn because exactly. he's Tony. Like, even though Thrawn is an integral part, like, Thrawn is one of the most important Imperial players in the galaxy at this time. Tony won't use him because Tony doesn't want to use him. Like, but even though he makes perfect sense for this timeline, he is an integral part of everything that's happening in terms of the Imperial Navy and their power structure and... There and the the Imperial Navy's ability to hunt down rebel cells that like, that was his fucking thing. Yeah, like I'm worried that Tony's going to be like, well, this Thrawn guy, like he's a cartoon guy, too much he's fan fucking, service, yeah, fan fiction. You know, 
Okay. And like, he's going to look at it like that and not realize that. Yeah. Like there's fan service and he's a cartoon person because this dude is super fucking important to the story yeah. that's being told right now. And and I don't um, think either one of us are talking like he gets a, a credited role. I mean, it, it could be a scene in the first two in the, in the two seasons of Andor. As long yeah. as he's established as being this figure in the Empire that is competing against other Imperials that want the Death Star, it, it just it, it just makes sense. Like I mean, yeah, he could just be at a meeting for the Death Star, speak his mind in a way that fans get like, okay, this, he's not just another Piet or Ozzel that's going to get fucking choked out at some point in time. Like when this guy speaks. These dirtbags at the highest levels of the empire listen and they listen intently because they know if they don't, they're probably going to get fucked either from Thrawn himself or his buddy that wears black robes in the emperor. So, yeah, I, he makes perfect sense. But as you said, it's because he makes perfect sense. I see Tony saying, hmm, blue guy, red eyes, animation only fanboyism. Eh. Not yeah. happening. Too cynical. Abort. 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 Bring in some random descendant of Tarkin. That will make more sense. They'll see how smart I am now. <laughs> so, yeah, I got you. We'll see. We'll see what happens. There's but, no way. Bat, uh, Bat's saying, what if they just talked about and we never see him? If they do that, then everything we've ever said about Dave Filoni is false. Plain and simple. Plain and simple. Yeah, I mean, you, if you don't... You, if, <laughs> go ahead. You, you, you have to, like... I don't I can't stress enough how important it is for Thrawn to be included here. Because I, I, I also don't think that people are drawing enough like threads between Andor and Ahsoka as a series. Like those two are are should be very tightly linked together, even though there is a large swath of time that is separating it, because both of those series or both of those time periods hinge so heavily on the character of Thrawn. Like if you, if you choose to ignore Thrawn in Andor, you're choosing to ignore one of the biggest players in the empire at that time who had a very big effect on what was going on in the galaxy. Like if you choose to just replace Thrawn, like if you just take the character of Thrawn and put somebody else in his shoes doing what he's supposed to be doing, you have essentially like you you've really disrupted that whole timeline. And that's that is my biggest fear for this series. Yeah. Like there are ways that you can make this series and not include Thrawn and it be okay to not include of Thrawn. Of course. Yeah. I mean he's he's not the linchpin, but No. He he's he's can't. like the butter on top of, of your dinner roll. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he, he just he can make things that much better because yeah. it, it's a nod to his importance to the era. But it's also you're you're foreshadowing his importance to the Mandoverse timeline. Which, exactly. You know, if you and think about it, if we're five from A New Hope, we're about five or six from Return of the Jedi. So, you know, we're only going to be we're we're talking about seventeen years from Andor season one is when the Mandoverse is mostly taking place. So not yeah. even not even two full decades. So. Uh, I and the worst thing math. that they could do, <laughs> like the worst thing that, that Gilroy could do, and I could see him doing this, is just inserting his own character 
that is doing essentially the same thing oh, that I Thrawn is I mean, supposed that, that, to do. Okay, that's why fucking Pablo Hidalgo's and, and that those people exist. Like that that's something you have to be like, no. We already you, have you can't have a, a grand admiral human that also, you know, likes to study his enemy's culture and he has a museum in his office. No, yeah. that, that only like one character can be that guy. And that's the blue yeah. dude with red eyes. That's it. Yeah, you can't you can't do that. So yeah, you're um, right. I mean, this is something Tony could definitely get a little too smart for himself on a, on a call like that. So maybe maybe the powers of B came in and like, listen, dude, you gotta, you gotta do us at least this one cynical cameo because yeah. we need it for what we're building yeah. in the future. It's All like right. they, they need to give him just enough rope to not be able to hang himself. <laughs> like, yeah, like you can have as much rope as you want, but as soon as it gets to the point to where you're not only going to hang yourself, you're going to hang us is where we cut you off. Yeah. Well, we'll like, see. So, we'll see. We'll I, see I mean, dude, hey, like out. I said, we, we, we could tune in on the 21st and both of us could could get on, you know, the Star Wars time show the next week and just sit there and be like, oh, my God, he really is. He is God's gift to Star Wars fans. Look at us. We're yeah, fucking it, it stupid. Could, could be. And, and we'll could start the, sure. the cult of Gilroy. But, you know, until I see it and, and kind of view it through my 40 plus years of Star Wars fanboyism, I'm going to I'm just going to go in even keeled i'm not gonna i don't have high expectations i surely don't have low expectations but i'm gonna go in as a fan blank mind see what we get is there too much tony arrogance or is he right like his cast is seemingly telling telling us so let's see here all right man good good question of the week there you even got us talking about it a little bit so i guess i did okay it just depends on how many people actually replied so, the final way to get involved in the Star Wars Time Show each week, especially on the live stream, this is where this, this fan uh, um, entry point is so much fun, the live stream, but you can still listen on the podcast version, and that is the Top 5 Star Wars Fan Artist Features of the Week. So, the way this works, all week long, from Tuesday to Monday, make sure to tag by using ad tag Star Wars Time Show. You can't even type at Star Wars Time Show anymore. It's got to be ad tag Star Wars Time Show. And then use hashtag Star Wars Time Show on any and everything you consider Star Wars art or Star Wars creativity. I'll look at those every morning and I will share them or as the community calls it, I will feature them at Star Wars Time Show on Instagram. And then on Monday after he's put in a hard day's work, maybe had a little dinner put his robe and slippers on, got himself some <laughs> hot cocoa. Nick will sit down and choose the top five of those previously weeks-long featured artists. And that is where we are at today. That is what the segment is all about, Nick. So we got, or who do you got for your top five spanning August 29 to September 5, 2022? 2022. So the first one up this week is at Gree zero one, dig it. And what Gree zero one gives us is an awesome shot of our favorite bounty hunters. And I gotta say, I I love his choice to put Boba Fett way in the background yes, and put the, the real thing? hero <laughs> up know. front. Greedo, hell yeah, the, the most badass bounty hunter in the galaxy. You, you you hit it, man. And that's what drew me to this shot too. It's like <laughs> whoever. When you, when you, you know, we're talking like the dirty dozen of Star Wars bounty hunters, yeah. the, 
the the Empire or the Executor Bridge <laughs> bounty hunters, right? Everyone exactly. knows what I'm talking about. If you don't, you're not a Star Wars fan. But Nick's right. It's always Boba Fett. He's always the main subject, right? It's always about Boba. He's always looked the coolest. That's why he, you know, became the most infamous of those executor bridge bounty hunters. So I'm with you, dude. I think it's that. It's the fact that Greedo is is the lead. Like literally, like it's it's like it's Greedo's posse now. That's right. He he got the job for for uh, IG88 and Boba and Boss. <laughs> no, no one else. But I think it's the fact it's that moon in the background makes it. Oh yeah, that's it makes it even more done. epic of of a lineup of bounty hunters. So it's it's Greedo main subject with the moon in the back just makes this shot pop as a as a I would call it an atypical Star Wars bounty hunter toy photography shot for sure. Oh yeah, absolutely. So uh, beautiful work. <laughs> Love seeing the Greedo. bounty hunters out there. Greedo in the this is the alternate reality where Greedo yeah. does not get roasted in the fucking most icely cantina. He's the man, and he makes it out. Um, so yeah, I love it at Gree G R E E zero one on Instagram. Make sure to give them a follow. He, they have definitely been in the top five before. So uh, good stuff there. Next up is an awesome crossover mashup shot from at Chewy underscore the underscore poo. P-O-O-H. And what we see is a a predator riding on the back of a uh <laughs> of a black. Oh my gosh, now I'm like Rancor. I'm like I'm like losing my mind. Yes, Rancor, black Rancor, so not the Rancor that we see in Return of the Jedi. And the Rancor is eating Boba Fett. Yeah. So hey, do you we, see on, <laughs> do you see on the Rancor? It's like a dog's chain, right? Or like a leash to yeah, take yeah. a dog out. I love that. Got, that nice little. I touch almost there. said Rathtar. I don't know why <laughs> Rathtar popped in my head. I was yeah. like, I know it's not Rathtar, but like I know a, it starts if, with if an a Rathtar fucked a Rancor, maybe. But yeah. no, it's it's a Rancor, and it's a Rancor. You are. It, um, it, it, there's been a an influx of Predator v Star Wars ever since Prey dropped a hell a month ago. At this yeah. point in time. And they have been relatively pretty excellent. But you're right. Chewy the Boo here. This one's real fun. Because usually when they do a crossover, the Star Wars guys or girls, they're usually winning. Here, Chewy the Pooh is like, no. Predator is the Predator. I don't give a fuck about Boba Fett in his half Beskar suit. The Predator is <laughs> going to win. And it's going to win by riding a Rancor and eating Boba Fett. So yeah. I, I like I some mean. of the choices here to, to bring this crossover to life. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, but, hey, just... What, what the fuck is a poo, by the way? I've always wanted, like, Winnie the Pooh, a poo bear. Is there such thing as a poo bear? What is a poo? I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've what is a P-O-O-H? Because didn't see. you see there's, like, some horror movie coming out, like, like set in the Winnie the Pooh universe or something like that? Yeah. Right? Yeah, it was. Um, or there is a there is a horror movie because the, it's, like, now in public domain. Yeah. Like, it's public domain now, so they can do whatever they want with it. Um, it says Pooh was the name of a swan in when we were very young. So it was like another book by A.A. A. Milne. And then she just like gave that name to Winnie oh, the Pooh. Okay. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. I mean, does he have like, can he not wipe his ass appropriately? Does he usually have dingleberries? I mean, I've never really <laughs> understood how you become the Pooh, but we do understand that at Chewy underscore the underscore Pooh is good at bringing some Star Wars figures to life. So check them out on Instagram at Chewy the Pooh. One 
100%. Next up is at True Perry. I was wondering if you were going to select this one when I put it up because I was like, this is just a very well-crafted scene. It is. It's a very well-crafted scene between the two most famous Jedis in the Mandoverse, Ahsoka and Grogu. No. So, what about Luke, uh, damn it? How could you do Luke right there? Luke's a Jedi master. He's a man. He's a tough guy. Uh, he's a toughie. But uh, so what we see is, this, I mean, like it's pretty close to like a scene recreation of something we saw on Corvus during yeah, season two yeah. of Mandalorian when uh, Ahsoka is essentially having her own little powwows with Grogu yep. in the middle of the Corvus forest. The only difference is not all the trees are dead, um, but it is just a well-crafted scene. You have Ahsoka sitting there on a tree stump, little Grogu standing next to uh, a light, uh, a little lantern light there and some other uh, little set dressing. And they're just having like that forced conversation that Ahsoka essentially kind of, you know, that's how she finds, you know, talks to him. Like she tells Mando, the, oh yeah, his name's Grogu. You never yeah. met him before? I, we used to hang out in the temple all the time. Yeah, they essentially, but, um, they spocked it up and had a bit of a mind meld without speaking yeah. words. So yeah, man, it's like, listen, it's, I mean, it's not some crazy action scene. It's just the way that True Perry, True Perry, I got to do it every time. It's the way that he staged it. Because I actually went to the post and looked at the behind the scenes. Uh, The figure itself, there's a lot of third-party soft goods on it. Like, he's got some fresh soft pants on there. I think that really enhances the Ahsoka. The the soft goods robe really enhances it. But True Perry, see that lamp there? He fucking made that. He's like, hey, I, I want to nice. make this scene. So he made it himself. Uh, the back, the, the, the back, 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 it's out of here. The background is digital, but everything in the foreground, like where the characters are, that's all practical. You know, moss and little trees and stumps and uh, sticks and shit like that. So I don't know. I just, when I used to dabble in this, I always appreciated seeing someone set up and I just, I really enjoyed the scene that True Perry was able to craft out of what he used practically to, to kind of build this set. Yeah, no, it was, it was a really well done shot that uses so many good practical effects. And then, like you said, blends really perfectly into that background. Yeah. Just a lot of good, a lot of good tricks going on in here for toy photography. Yeah, 100%. So at True Perry, T-R-U-U-P-P-E-R-I on Instagram. Make sure to give them a follow. Um, next up is at Geeky83. And this is just a fun, cheeky little shot. <laughs> Happy hour you know, on the when, Death Star. Yeah, yeah, I mean, this is like this is like an alternate universe where like when C-3PO is like bumbling his way around the Death Star, he like walks into a bar and he's just like, oh, this is, sit down and have a nice oil, uh, yeah. a nice <laughs> shot of oil. But, uh, I mean, essentially what you see is 3PO sitting down at a bar with a bunch of stormtroopers who are all kind of leaning over, hands up, trying to get the bartender's attention, get a drink. Um, it, it is. It's like happy hour at the Death Star. So it's, it's a fun shot here. I just, I mean, Geeky A3's been putting out a lot of, I guess what you'd call Star Wars humor shots or not serious Star Wars. And I, I think it's becoming one of my favorite genres. In fact, I'm glad Nick picked our next candidate. Because yeah. Intergalactic Raptor kind of went the same same path here. Just something completely uh, opposite to what you expect to see in a Star Wars shot or a piece of Star Wars art. But back to Geeky 83, it is. I, I just, 
you know, you got that one trooper, just he's like casually leaning on the bar. Uh, the other one, like he's, pose, yeah, that's what it is. The posing in this shot is also excellent. You got the other yeah. ones with their fingers up. I mean, a lot of this mm-hmm. reminds me of all this stupid ass bar rescue reruns I've been going through and, <laughs> and how yeah. bars should be ran and how bartenders should, you know, Hey, what do you need? Make two drinks at once, blah, 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 that type of stuff. But it's just Giga 3. I love the idea, setting up the bar in there, like the practical bar set with the stools. To me, it almost looks like 3PO is the oh, bartender. 3- 3PO is the bartender. Yeah. yeah I, at first, I thought that he was like at the bar. That's but yeah, probably he's why actually the everyone's bartender. waiting, yeah. because he's probably talking to all the yeah. machines, because we know he yeah. can he can interpret robot language quite well. But it just the the casual poses of the troopers. That's what that's what sells this because they do. They look yeah. like they're they're taking their they're getting ready for the weekend. They've they've had their yeah. five day shift on the Death Star. They're hitting three PO's bar on the way out before they can remove their armor and uh, enjoy their weekend in their um, bunkers or whatever you want to call it yeah. barracks on the Death Star. The barracks on the Death Star. Yeah, for sure. So good stuff at Geeky eighty three yep. on Instagram. And last up, Matt, you teased it, and here oh it is. This is at, <laughs> it's so great. At intergalactic underscore raptor on Instagram. And, I mean, talking about, like, an irreverent, funny kind of Star Wars shot, I mean, this hits so it's, many it's, notes. It's perfect, man. I mean, I, I want the, a T-shirt that says the amazing Sheev on it now. Yeah, I know. So what we're seeing here is the amazing Sheev pal- uh, or magic show. So what we have is... Palpatine uh, in his robes and he's putting on a magic show. We see cards flying through the air. We see put him pulling porgs out of hats. We see a holocron on the desk. We see one of his Imperial guards standing there holding a porg <laughs> and he's got a magic wand and he's flipping it around, making all this magic uh, stuff happen. So it is. Uh, it's just I like never... <laughs> anytime you get Emperor Palpatine in a situation that is so anti-Palpatine, it, it just works. And that's yeah, that's 100% what this shot is from Intergalactic Rapper. It's so anti-Sheev. Uh, I mean, the best part is to me, Nick, the way it reads to me, it's like Sheev, he's so bad to his core that that even when he's trying to do magic, he's still cheating. Like, you know, he's got the porgs yeah. shoved up his sleeves just in case maybe the, <laughs> the force isn't working the way he wants it to. Uh, or even his tricks are already failing. Like, it's almost yeah, like he's, <laughs> he's bumble-fucking this, this show that he's giving to his Imperial Guards. Because you got one porg is floating away with some, some of the, <laughs> the, the playing cards that were on the table. Another one's coming out of the hat. Like you said, a, a guard's holding one that it escaped from Sheev's other arm. Who knows? But I think the sign in the back... Yeah. Where it's literally like she was in his room like a four-year-old getting ready to, to, <laughs> to do a little show for his parents. Like sometimes my daughter will still, even at six, she'll come out after being in her room for an hour and be like, oh, look what I did and look what who I am now. It's, it's like she, he had some free time. He's like, you know what? I'm going to show these guys my magic tricks. And he, he makes himself <laughs> a little hand-drawn sign, calls himself the amazing Sheev magic show, and rolls out into the hallway. And whoever's there to watch or listen, that's who he performs for. Uh, so it's just a, it's a great little story contained in this little one-by-one ratio shot from intergalactic underscore raptor on Instagram. 100%. Make sure to go give all of the top five a follow if you're not following them already. Uh, But that is the end of the top five, and that is the end of the show. 
Matt and I gave you 30 minutes of Lord of the Rings talk and then two hours of Star Wars talk, so I hope you enjoyed it. Not too bad. I, mean, I was going to say, we, we still managed to kind of hit our usual time here, about 2.30, 2.35-ish. So, hey, if you're new here and you liked what you listened to, why don't you head on over to StarWarsTime.net as the show is about to end. The reason to go there is, well, in between shows, especially if there is stuff to talk about, that's where we will post it. We're always trying to inform Star Wars fans on a daily basis. So if you can't wait to figure out what is important in the land of Star Wars, make sure to head to StarWarsTime.net. While you're there, like I said, and if you are new, you can find all of our podcast platforms. And yes, we're on all of them, at least the good ones. So please check those out. You can get us on Amazon, Spotify, Pandora, iTunes, Google. Like I said, tune in. This shit called Deezer. I mean, half the places, I don't even know if they exist anymore. But the podcast is there for you to find if you go to StarWarsTime.net. If you prefer the live stream angle, you want to see us in person, look at our lovely beards, although mine should be hacked down by next week, you can also go to StarWarsTime.net, scroll around, click on the YouTube icon. That'll take you to our channel, YouTube.com slash StarWarsTimeShow. Uh, if you are new to the YouTube feed and you're sitting here watching now while I'm going through all this bullshit that you're rolling your eyes over, why don't you go ahead and do a thumbs up for the live stream as well as a like, which is the thumbs up. So leave a comment and sub to the show. Turn on notifications. We won't bother you with them. Not that you get them anyways, unless you have the YouTube app installed. So as we tell everyone that is new here or those that have been here since day one, there really is always time for Star Wars time. So we appreciate you tuning in every week to the live stream if you do that on Tuesdays or the podcast version on Wednesdays. Don't forget, when you're out there selling us, one of the main reasons to listen to the Star Wars time show, besides wasting multiple hours of your life a week, is, if you do listen to it, the Force. Yes, that one even without midichlorians, will be with you always. (laughs) 